You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Well, hello. Good evening, everybody. As you see James and Kyle pop on the screen, I'm your host, Tom Scavetta of Review and Preview. Welcome, one and all, to our lovely show here tonight. We are live from 7 to 9 p.m., one week removed from our NFL preview show. That was an insane three-hour show. Went very long. We are live tonight on Facebook Live. You can give us a follow or like, subscribe here at Review and Preview Sports. That's our Facebook page. Instagram page is Review and Preview. Give us a follow there. Uh, subscribe to our audio podcast at the anchor.fm slash review and preview, where we put up all our content, all our shows, including the North Pole, a new show we just launched, and uh, a new show we are launching tomorrow night. It is a New York football giants centered show. It is going to be called The Big Blue Avenue, hosted by myself and Hank and Dichter. I'm very much looking forward to that. Kyle and James. Welcome to the show, and I hope you're excited for that uh, breaking news. Yeah, no, definitely going to be exciting. You and uh, Hank had a couple shows over the summertime, and you guys did a great job. So hopefully that continues, and uh, especially now throughout the season in which you will be reviewing um, the 2020 season instead of obviously going over old seasons. So I'm much forward looking forward to it. 100%. James, welcome as yeah. well. I know you have your Islanders jersey hanging up in the background. We're going to talk about them in just a few moments. But um, I know we're all very excited to have our special guest tonight who will be joining us in just a couple of minutes, Elias Larati. Hope I'm pronouncing that last name right. He is from Montreal, Canada. He is a hockey analyst, works for Fansided. Shout out Andrew Scarpacci for getting us on. He's going to talk about the NHL playoffs with us so he is all things hockey of course some things that have just happened within the world of hockey we saw the minnesota wild trade 35 year old eric stall to the buffalo sabers for marcus johansson and that wasn't all that the wild have done this week they also signed defenseman jonas brodeen to a seven year contract extension so it's been very wild in the land of minnesota today no pun intended (laughs) So looking forward to that. And then, of course, the head coaching transactions. We saw uh, the Washington Capitals make Peter LaViolette their next head coach. He obviously won a Stanley Cup with the Carolina Hurricanes back in 2006. And the Calgary Flames, they promote Jeff Ward from their interim head coach position to their new head coach position. And fun fact about him, uh, I'm trying to remember – I don't think he was the one that hasn't been a head coach since 2004. I think that was Rick Bonus of the Dallas Stars. Um, So that was definitely interesting to see. But it's crazy. And then, of course, Joel Edmondson uh, just got signed by Montreal today. So the hockey news is uh, really dominating the sports world today. Yep, no doubt, no doubt. It's very interesting to see what the Wild have done considering they actually have a stacked defense, uh, obviously signing Brodeen to a long-term contract, having a guy in Ryan Sutter, who's still one of the best defensemen in all of hockey. And then Matt Dumba as well. It's a stacked defensive team. The offense giving up a guy in Eric Stahl, who I believe was their longest tenured uh, Minnesota wild player at the time. Uh, that's a little disappointing, but they're definitely getting a fantastic player in Marcus Johansson from the Buffalo Sabres in return. 
So to add to that offensive firepower as well would be a nice addition to the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Gabe, Flayton, go wild, the host of the North Pole. Thank you very much for uh, joining the live stream. Definitely uh, looking forward to your next episode of the North Pole. Catch that Tuesday, 6 to 7 p.m. on here on Review and Preview Sports. And next week, he's actually going to be going an extra half hour. So make sure to catch that show. So let's get into the Western Conference Finals matchup that uh, feature the Dallas Stars and the Vegas Golden Knights. The Dallas Stars defeated Vegas in five games. It was a tough-fought five-game series. The Stars ended up winning 3-2 to two in overtime in Game 5, advancing to their first Stanley Cup final since the year 2000. Um, guys, thoughts on that game and how Dallas really, they kind of played the underdog role, especially in these last two rounds of uh, the NHL playoffs. They, they're an incredible team, you know, it reminds me a lot of the St. Louis Blues teams that we saw last year. Uh, obviously not as bad because last year we all all knew where the St. Louis Blues stood uh, come the new year. But this team was one of the most under-the-radar teams. A lot of people didn't even have them uh, beating Calgary in the first round. They beat Calgary. Uh, I believe they went on to go play Colorado. They beat Colorado in seven games and now absolutely dominate the Vegas Golden Knights. It was very, very impressive. I agree 100%. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Obviously, Stevenson and Smith got Vegas on the board. Um, ben Kervanta and Gurionov with the power play goal in overtime for the Stars. Gurionov uh, actually had the game winner, which is 3.36 into the overtime segment. So uh, Vegas, fun fact, well, not really fun, but they also lost game three, three to two in overtime. So with that being said, no better way to introduce our guest tonight, Elias Larati from Montreal. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. So being from uh, Montreal, obviously hockey is big up there in Canada, and I know you're a big Vegas Golden Knights fan, so we're actually going to talk about them right now uh, and their series against the Dallas Stars. So Elias, Vegas led 2-0 in Game 5. And they ended up out shooting the Stars by 10. What happened in this game? I mean, you know, at first it was a great start for Vegas. You know, uh, they scored up two goals. They were up. They had the lead, you know, three, four, five minutes left in the game. And then just Dallas decided to turn it on. And Vegas just didn't have an answer for them. And they just came flying. And, you know, they had a really solid goaltender. And it was for the second series in a row that, you know, Vegas is known as that high-scoring offense yet they were winning these one-goal, two-goal games for two series in a row. It happened against Vancouver. It happened against Dallas. And I really think that they were just stunned. Like, uh, I was listening to the players after the game. Like, Riley Smith said, I felt like we were cursed around the net. Just whatever we were doing, whatever we were throwing at him, it just wasn't going in. And if you look at the the shots and and the chances, Vegas dominated both series completely. We look at the shots, we look at the chances, you know, Vegas was the better team, but somehow Dallas was able to figure them out again with some solid goaltending. Vancouver almost, you know, was pretty close to it. So, you know, it's just, I would say, unfortunately, maybe it's some bad luck. Maybe it's a bad puck luck. You know, puck's not going in when they're, when they're supposed to. You know, averaging, you know, 20, 30, 35 shots a game. And Vegas basically allowed was allowing maybe between 15 and 20 per game on their end, you know. So um, it's really tough. It's really actually puzzling. I was trying to figure it out. I'm like, 
how does a team who's this high at scoring that can score three goals to, to secure a victory? No, Kyle and James are big Islanders fans, so they're happy they're still in the mix. I know you're a Vegas fan, and you know we're going to talk about this series here first. Interim head coach Rick Bones uh, makes it a second year in a row that an interim head coach has brought his team to the Stanley Cup Finals last year. It was Craig Berube with the St. Louis Blues. Uh, GM Jim Nill says that he has earned the head coaching position into next year. And this is actually the first time for him, uh, Rick Bones being a head coach since 2004. What are your thoughts about that? And if he's earned this uh, position? I mean, I think it's a great move by, by the Dallas Stars. I think uh, Bonus is a, is a great coach. Uh, he has a lot of experience in the past, you know, coaching, playing. So I really feel like the team, when he coaches, they rally around him. It was an unfortunate situation for Jim Montgomery. Um, so basically, but I, I did hear actually today that Jim Montgomery is going to get a second chance. He's officially uh, been signed by the uh, St. Louis Blues to be an assistant coach. So I'm really happy for him because... You know, he was a good coach, but it's just unfortunate that sometimes, you know, stuff like that happens. But I give full credit to uh, to Bonus for leading his team and his, his groups going around him. And, uh, I mean, they have a really good shot at, at uh, winning this cup this year. Elias, a question that I have to ask you in regards to the Vegas Golden Knights, switching gears back to them. Uh, it kind of was a little under the radar as this series progressed. Robin Lehner is reportedly or did or did not, it may not be official yet, but is planning to sign a five-year contract extension with the Vegas Golden Knights, which leads me with no other choice but to ask you, what then happens with Marc-Andre Fleury in this situation? So actually, it's a really funny story because I actually saw that tweet as well. And I write for a site called Puck Pros, which is part of the fan-sided uh, network. So I sent a message to my editor. I'm like, listen, Leonard is about to sign a five-year deal. Do you want me to get on it? He goes, yeah, yeah, if you want to write it, write it. And then I sort of waited. Like I said, okay, I'm going to give it an hour or two because I want to be 100% sure that it's confirmed, that it's not just fake news because with social media, you can literally tweet anything and people will believe you. So I waited. And then um, I actually, maybe like an hour later, I, I, I read some tweets that it actually wasn't happening and that um, I saw a tweet from Sinbin, uh, who covers the Vegas Knights, their Vegas uh, website, said, listen, you know, we spoke to Leonard. He said it's 100% not true. And uh, he goes, I don't understand why they're bringing contract negotiations during a, a conference file. It doesn't make sense. So nothing is official yet. And there's no word yet. Um, I wouldn't really say it's a goalie controversy because, you know, Flower is just a solid team player. Like, I know the type of person that he is. And, um, you know, they have to figure it out. They have to figure out if they have the cap space to keep both. Because me personally, I there's a lot of teams now that are rolling, you know, one, two tandems, you know. Look at Boston with Rask and Halak, you know, splitting games this year. Um, you know, look at Hudobin and Bishop in Dallas. Like there, there are goalies that are keeping basically like a 1 and like a 1A, you know, because now in the situation of back-to-backs, you know, you got to keep your goalies rested and, and well and well uh, kept. That's, what, that's, that's my personal take on it. But uh, they're still trying to figure out if they're going to be able to keep both, if they're able to keep one or the other. But um I really think, me personally, uh, I think they should basically keep both because I think it'd be, it'd be a better move to keep that cap space for them because at least they have two solid goaltenders that they can rely on going forward. 
Yeah, I would absolutely have to agree. You know, me and James as Islander fans, you know, we know that situation very well running through Semyon Vlamov and Thomas Christ this season. It's kind of been that way with the exception of this bubble playoff format in which uh, Semyon Varlamov has ultimately stolen the job, except for times in which he's faulted and Thomas Christ has had to step in. But other than that, it's been Semyon Varlamov and Thomas Christ for the entirety of the 2019-2020 season, back and forth. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely have to agree. Again, now it's probably another example that I should have brought up. You know, yeah, there's going with Varlamov and Grace, you know, two solid number one goalies that you can plug into any team and they'll, they'll, be, they'll be a starter for sure. So, yeah. I agree. Maybe keeping a one and a one A is the way that teams are going to go on moving forward. Good point, James. You got something? So, as we saw last night, uh, Dallas moves on throughout the game or the series. Actually, was there a turning point that you saw that made Dallas be like they're actually like in a sense? they're going to go on to the finals or was it more like do you just expected Dallas to go? Um, you know, that's actually a really good question. And um, I felt like a lot of games were very, very similar. It was just Vegas doing whatever they can to score, throwing 30, 35 shots a game, you know, and normally when you score, throw 30, 35 shots a game, at least three or four are, are going to go in depending on the goaltender, of course. But like I said, the first two, the series against Vancouver, the series against Dallas, it was whatever they were doing. The pucks just weren't going in, you know. Vegas, they're they're used to winning, you know, by three, four goals. They're a high-power team. They have three solid scoring lines. So um, there wasn't really a turning point, but I really feel like um, that overtime game where they lost 30 seconds in, they, I felt that they should have won that game because that game, I think, probably was like, the, the message that, hey, you know, Dallas has a very, very good chance of moving on. So Vegas, every game they lost in this series, I believe it was by one goal, obviously with the exception of game two where they won 3 uh, nothing. How did Dallas manage to grind out these tight score games? Because another fun fact that I found was Jamie Benn actually scored a goal in each of the last three games of the series. And I feel like that definitely helped them build some momentum. So how do you think Dallas was able to grind out? Um, I always think it was their, their players stepping up at the right moment, you know. Uh, I remember CEO Jim Lights, you know, destroying his players last year with the comments he made on Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan saying, listen, we have these star players, but they literally do nothing for our team. And, you know, yeah, I agree. They went through lulls and, you know, the team was in a, in a rough place. But really I feel that the reason they moved on is because Jamie Ben stepped up, Radulov stepped up, Kivi Ranta came out of nowhere, stepped up. Uh, Hudobin was a wall in net. So all, when you factor in all those factors, you know, that, that's what made them, you know, advance. And another fun fact um, for the Stars, thanks to Tyler Seguin, a Yamir Yager teammate will reach the Stanley Cup Finals for the 40th year in a row. That's crazy. Uh, da, da, da. Yep. So that's it. Just goes to show you how insane these NHL playoffs have been year in and year out. Switching gears here to the Eastern Conference Finals. Game five was last night. Kyle and James, my uh, co-hosts here, are big Islanders fans, both from Long Island, New York. Uh, Tampa Bay. They've held an edge and face-off shots on goals all series, but. Um, and it's been since 2015, the last time the Lightning made a Stanley Cup Finals where they ended up losing it to um, the eventual winners, the Chicago Blackhawks. But 
James, Kyle, and Elias, I'm going to have you guys break down game five, which was a two-to-one overtime win, double overtime win, pardon me, last night as Tampa Bay now leads the series three-to-two heading into game six tomorrow. It was just a, it was a crazy game, to be honest with you. There was some lulls, definitely. You know, Ryan Pollock scored early in the first period, and then there was just a complete drought. Uh, I believe Max Victor hadn't put, uh, put a goal up on the board. Then there was a controversial call that, you know, wasn't so controversial, looked more controversial at the time, was an offside in which Tampa actually scored. That goal got retracted. And then we obviously know going to the second overtime, uh, I forgot the, the player, um, I believe it was Kevin Shattenkirk, actually, who kind of blew the save, let it right by to Jordan Eberle, and then Anders Lee and Jordan Eberle pass back and forth for Jordan Eberle, uh, gets the goal to finish out in double overtime. It was just an exciting game. It kept you on the edge of your seat, no doubt about it, especially as an Islander fan, just a hockey fan in general, because nobody wants to see uh, a series end that early. Even if your team is not the eventual outcome, you want to see the series end early. Dude, this was a great game. This has been a well-fought, hard series. The post of the first game, obviously the Islanders losing 8-2, that horrible fashion. We all know the crushing defeat in which they had in game two, and which they lost uh, with ten less than 10 seconds left on the clock in the third period. That was a crushing blow. Uh, winded up winning game three, losing game four. And then game five, you know, this is an elimination game. Harry Trotz is an established head coach. Who's going to show up for the Islanders in this series? Because they haven't had that much goal production like we've seen in the past two series against Washington, uh, against Florida, against Philly, where you had a lot of names stepped up. Uh, J.G. Peugeot is another guy who has really been offensively, whether it's goal scoring assist, Anders Lee. I believe that was his first assist in forever. Jordan Eberle, I think that was his first goal since like the second or third game against the Capitals. They've just been in this offensive drought, so it was definitely nice to see them extend the series and get some of these star names that you have, like Jordan Everly and Anders Lee, uh, back in that point-scoring uh, attitude and mindset because they need that. You know, you got a game six on Thursday tomorrow. You're going to need that type of mentality to keep you in the series. Also, a big point that uh, actually Gabe brings up that I was going to bring up was uh, Gabe's heck of a pe- penalty killer by the Islanders in OT. Yes, and also at the end of... At, what was it? End of third, was it? Yeah. Um, we got a we got a penalty. It was like a four minute. Penalty it was a. It was a. Yeah. It was a double minor. It was a double yeah, minor on a, Anthony Bavelier. And so you know he was sitting in the box. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw his head completely down. Like he mm-hmm. was like, I lost the game for my team. But we come back in OT. You know, uh, it was definitely a stressful game at times since um, or, you know since it's an elimination game, but Trotz knows how to play his players throughout. Doc, I think said it best is Trotz mixed up all his, all his different lines to where they would work best. And you saw that last night with the Lee and Everly goal. Lee with the steal, pass it to Everly and the goal. I think by switching up those lines for two OTs and throughout the game really helped them mix out because they got different guys playing with each other that may not have played with each other since the actual season when they were in the Coliseum and uh, the Barclays Center. Now replaying with each other may get some of that chemistry back. No, oh, I, no I, uh, I, I, I definitely agree with that, but I'm going to be honest with you guys. I only got to watch the, um, the second overtime. I was actually, uh, I think I was covering something else, if I remember correctly. 
Um, but yeah, you know, the Islanders, I've said that I've said it all playoff long. Barry Trotz knows how to structure a team and he brought structure to that lineup and he knows how to win. He's a proven winning head winning coach. So, you know, I'm actually happy that the series got extended because no one wants to see a series end early. You know, it's more excitement, it's more action, you know, more games. And uh, I really feel like last night, maybe, you know, at the beginning of the series, it was getting chippy. You know, you know they were they were really starting to you know, not like each other. So I really feel like this is going to set up a great game six that could either, again, decide the series or push it to game seven. And in the last round, we saw two teams that were down 3-1, force game seven. So maybe this, maybe this round we'll see one team force a game seven. Do we have an update on Braden Point for game six? I know he was out last night um not lower body injury no not recently no but um i will keep definitely keep an eye on that he's a big component of their offense you know i've got to say between cal clutterbuck and varlamov last night with those 36 saves in net clutterbuck had 10 hits last night i think the islanders have done a really great job defensively not just in the series but throughout the entire playoffs did any of you three Seriously think that the Islanders would make it this far, this far to the Eastern Conference Finals, to game six of the Eastern Conference Finals? I mean, listen, I mean, at a point in time when the season ended due to COVID-19, you know, back in March, they weren't even projected to make the playoffs. In fact, they were they were they they weren't playing good at all. And then you, you see an opportunity come and they took advantage of that opportunity. They, they faced off against Florida in the first round. They played them very nicely. Uh, they went on to go play the Washington Capitals, who are only two years removed from a Stanley Cup. Pretty much have all the pieces, except for Barry Trotz, still on a part of that coaching staff and team. And they absolutely dominated them. And even against the Philadelphia Flyers, who was the hottest team in hockey before the season ended. They were the hottest team in hockey. They were the favorites in the Eastern Conference to make it to the Stanley Cup, even when the bubble resumed. They were the favorites, and they played them very tightly as well. Obviously, forcing a game seven and some close tight games, the Islanders let up, but they played them very nicely as well. And, and it's given me a lot of hope and potential to see them potentially compete against this Tampa team. Again, 10 seconds of a third period, this, this series could be 3 2 in favor of the Islanders' way right now. That's, that's how important this game six is and how important every single game has been uh, for both of these teams. Yeah. Kyle, you're, you're not wrong. Um, yeah. Tom, to get to your point, the UX, I, after they lost, what was it, 8 nothing? I kind of put that game completely out of my mind. 8-2, yeah. 8-2. Yeah. 8-2, okay. That's what, see, I don't even want to remember the score. You could tell yeah. when the Islanders win because our social media posts are in all caps. Yeah. <laughs> well, I try, well, yeah. Well, Maybe. listen. Not sure. Not sure. Um, but uh, to get to the point I was trying to make was, um, after that loss, I was like, okay, you got to come out swinging stronger. You just can't lay down and just roll over and lose like this. You guys made it this far. You, you're just not going to do that, especially with the coach and a new arena being built. You're just not going to fall down and roll over. Um, but to see them go to game five, either way, at least the way I was thinking, if they lose in game five, I want everything on the ice. I want them to walk back in that locker room after either overtime or regular regulation and say, we put everything on the ice, but we still lost. But you know what? We left everything there. 
I didn't want to see them get rolled over. Like the same thing tomorrow. If they lose tomorrow, as long as they put what they put on yesterday on the ice again, I'll be thrilled. Um, that's the way I'm looking at it. Listen, guys, um, I was actually watching game two, and me personally, I've played hockey before, and to lose a game with seven seconds left just demoralizes you to a point where you're just like, well, we did everything we could, but with seven seconds left, what are you going to do? You lost the game. That's it. It's, it's, not how you, it's not how you fall. It's how you pick yourself back up. It's how you respond to losing that game. And, you know, the Islanders are still in this, and I still think they have a very good chance to win. I'm, you know, they have a big game tomorrow. They're going to have to come out guns blazing, and they have to find a way to shut down Hedman, shut down Sergachev, shut down Kucherov. You know, they have to throw everything at Vasilevsky. But I really feel like this, chat, this team still has a chance, even if they're down against, again with the backs against the wall. And uh, I really feel like they might be able to force a game seven tomorrow. So with that being said, Elias, I think despite all that, I think John Cooper, he's done a really good job managing his lineups throughout the playoffs this year. I think we saw there was a mini spurt, I'm trying to remember, where Coleman and Palat, they scored 12 seconds apart in one of the games in this series. They're very scary offense, and I think um, they've done a lot of things different from this year to last year when they were the one seed in the East where they got swept by Columbus, I think that shocked a lot of people. So my question to you is what have they done differently in this year's Stanley cup playoffs? And would you say that they are the odds on favorite? Well, I agree. You know, last year against Columbus, you know, everyone was shocked. The number one team getting upset by the little eight seed, but you know, playoffs, anything can happen. Um, I really feel like when Tampa beat Columbus, it sort of gave them that edge to be like, okay, listen, you know, we got our revenge. We, we, they knocked us out last year. We knocked them out this year. We can really run and take this thing. And again, like you said, John Cooper's done a really good job with his lineup. They have a hell of a lineup. They got Blake Coleman. They got Andre Palat. Even, even with, without, a, without Stamkos or Point, this team still is a, is a solid team. You have Vasilevsky backing them up in net. Like, you have Hedman and Sergeyev on the blue line. And, uh, you know, they have a pretty – decent solid lineup that could have honestly everyone was predicting you know that big vegas tampa stonica final that would have been probably one of the best stonica finals we, we we would have seen but uh you know like i said tampa they're they're they got a pretty solid lineup and you know they're a very dangerous team couldn't agree with, i couldn't agree with you more guys do you have anything else for elias no, I think we're good. I think we hit on a lot of points. Actually, one last question. One last question. Transitioning back, because I know you're a Vegas fan. Sure. All the talent in which they have, because I picked them uh, before the Stanley Cup uh, bubble began, I guess you'd say, to win the Stanley Cup as a whole. All this talent that this team has, we talked about the goalies, we talked about the offensive firepower that they have, trading for pieces like Alec Martinez, still one of the best defensemen in all of hockey, have a fantastic coach as well. What, what, position what what do they need to get back to the stanley cup because they it pretty much seems like on paper they have the team that you would pick to go there and win it no i i definitely agree and that's a great question and i'm actually looking at this lineup and i'm like this almost seems like nothing in life is perfect but this almost seems like a perfect lineup you have three solid scoring lines you have a fourth checking line you have amazing d pair you know you have two solid goalies in net like this team on paper should be winning. You know, they last year was like, I, I would say, honestly, like the way they lost San Jose was horrible, 
but you know they they still you know I think maybe it's really tough. I really think that they can go into next year and you know they're gonna have to build on this team. They're gonna have to keep you know drafting young prospects, developing them. I think they've done a good job with Zach Whitecloud with uh, with Payne Krebs. You know they have a decent you know prospect pool, so they just got to keep getting better at it. Couldn't agree more. Well, Elias, wanted to thank you personally for talking some hockey with us tonight. And I'm very excited to see who makes the Stanley Cup out of the East. As you all know, game six tomorrow night at 8 p.m. So I'm sure all four of us will be watching, uh, barring no. uh, I don't think the Heat play till Friday, Kyle. So I think you'll be good. Um, Elias, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Really appreciate the time. No problem. All right. Bye. See ya. So that was Elias Larati from Montreal, Canada, uh, going out of the country tonight with our call. And Montreal, it's actually the same time zone. About James, you've been in the area about maybe six hours away, five and a half. Um, from me, I think it's five and a half, six hours. Yeah, from me and Russo, it's about seven, eight. Um, to, really? I've been well. I've been to yeah. Buffalo, Buffalo, and then Toronto. So. Every, yeah, it really depends. It also depends, not to get off track, but, like, if you go through PA or if you stay up in New York and cut across. Um, I've done that trip at least twice now, so. Fair. So we're going to transition into some NBA news, and I know NBA playoff news is what we're excited to talk about here. Uh, Mike D'Antoni tells the Houston Rockets he won't return after the team was eliminated by the Los Angeles Lakers in five games. Nick Nurse gets a multi-year extension um, as the Raptors head coach. He won NBA Coach of the Year in 2020. And fun fact, these NBA playoffs have been very exciting for the fans and the teams, uh, despite being in the bubble, because four Game 7s prior to the conference finals, two of them featuring the Denver Nuggets, who... Won both Game 7s. Uh, guys, let's now talk about the Denver Nuggets, who won last night's Game 7 against the Los Angeles Clippers, a team that many picked to go all the way this year, including some of uh, some of our own staff. Um, yep. I'm guilty. Yeah. I mean, if you watched last week's video that I did, I uh, remember very fondly in saying that Denver will not, again, come back from a 3-1 deficit. I sit here a week later, wrong. Again, but it's okay. It's okay. Now, would you say this this was you riding the Kawhi bandwagon from last year? Uh, no. I really, this is, you know, as we analyze this series, you know, talk about it a little more. I, I can't, you know, Kawhi did not show up for game seven, but somebody who was, didn't show up for all seven games in a sense, Paul George, man, what happened? Yeah. What happened? I mean, you, you heard him speak out. You know, it was in a dark place. He, he blew up for a 37-point game, spoke with somebody after the game, said he was in a dark place, hopes to get back on track. And then after that game, he just never got back on track. He, he had 10 points last night, was breaking three-pointers. I remember one that really just showed that they were just not going to come back. They were down, I believe, 10 points. Paul George off the side of the backboard, an open three, breaks it. It just it, – it was horrible. Well – Kyle, I couldn't agree with you more. The Nuggets coming back from down 3-1. Who would have thought they would do it again? And now I am 
Nothing Utah as they were without Boyan Bogdanovich, but who would think they would do it again? The Nuggets are six to zero in eliminations games in these playoff these playoffs. And back to what you said, you know, I asked this question, guys: What's keeping Denver in these playoffs? What's keeping them alive? And I think this series in particular, it was the again, I don't like to use this word, but porous play of Paul George. He was awful. Kyle, yeah. to your point, last night, Paul George, he had 10 points, four for 16 from the field, two of 11 from deep, and he just didn't seem mentally there. What did you see from his counterpart, Kawhi Leonard? Because he didn't look too good either. I believe he was uh, six for 22, something like that. Yeah, 14 points, six of 22. So he wasn't good at all either. Well, with Kawhi, what was more shocking is that he's he's been that guy. He's been that guy where you could bank on the fact that, okay, this guy is going to take us to the promised land. You look at almost every single game in this series and every single game that he's played in the bubble, maybe we, with the exception of game one that they had against Denver, he like put 13 up with 10 rebounds and 8 assists, almost still a triple-double, but not really what they're looking for. The guy was averaging around 28 points in this series. But in a Game 7, man, in a Game 7 where you are the leader of this team, Paul George is a fantastic player, but you are the leader of this team. You've been in an NBA, multiple NBA Finals. You've won two of them. You've been Finals MVP two times. You're the leader on this team. And 14 points in a Game 7 elimination game to take the Clippers for the first time ever to the Western Conference Finals? I mean... Every single piece on this team, guys, you know, we look at it. We analyze the team. We were just talking about it with the Vegas Golden Knights, right? Has every single piece to do it but doesn't manage to close. That's this Clippers team. That's this Clippers team. Doc Rivers, fantastic head coach. You have either or in six man of the year, whether it's Lou Williams or Montrezl Harrell. Those guys couldn't get it done. You have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Those are the best two-way players in basketball, meaning that best defenders – and best offensive scorers. Paul George is underrated. He kind of you know, buried himself with this one because he didn't play that well. But those are two of the best, if not the best, two-way players in the entire NBA. And you have some nice compliment pieces with uh, Marcus Morris Sr. And you have Patrick Beverly, who's a lockdown defender as well. Not really an offensive option, but a lockdown defender. You know, we, you look at this Denver team, all they got is Murray and Jokic. I get it. That could be a difficult task to stop, but... You can't let Jamal Murray have 40 points in the Game 7 when you know he's really their only offensive weapon uh, that's really going to put some points on you. Yeah. Um, You know, you bring up a lot of good points. I think Murray scoring 40 definitely played a factor in them getting the win, those six threes. But Nikola Jokic, man, you know, you look, all right, he only scored 16 points. Again, points, I mean, look, yeah, stats don't lie, but they don't show the full story they don't show the full picture guy had 22 rebounds 13 assists he was he is a lockdown big man that you know didn't allow Zubak to get any leeway Marcus Morris struggled the whole team struggled I believe Montrez Harrell was the leading scorer last night with 20 points that's not okay at all that that can't happen exactly uh the Clippers shot 26 percent from deep and overall, this was a very, very disappointing series because everybody wanted the Clippers-Lakers matchup. Everybody and their mother. And it did not happen. 
not everybody series didn't have. Well, maybe James, but I wanted to see that. I wanted to see two different teams. I wanted, I wanted to, to see the Battle Ru- of LA. I wanted to see Russo see. Thank you, James. I appreciate well, it. Let me I appreciate this. It. Speaking of the Miami Heat, Russo uh, throwback jersey here on uh, Whacked Out Wednesday with Dwayne <laughs> Wade. Sorry, had to throw that in there. Look at that, the black and blue with the uh, Miami Vice. It's the uh, stripes. Not Russo, being biased stand up here, so people can see it. I'm not going to stand up right now. The not gonna, there we go. Not going to be bi- not going to be biased right now, but the Vice City Edition jerseys might be the best jersey in all of sports. I'm not not being biased. It, it just might be a fact. Hold your horses. Look, the last time you stood up on review and preview, it was not for a good reason. <laughs> you were holding a garbage pail back in the studio two years ago. Yeah. Uh, true. Describing the New York Football Giants. <laughs> I, I'm not going to tolerate that here tonight. All right, uh, <laughs> but, you do, but you do look like you could. Get by in South Beach. You know, you got a nice Listen, little tan going. And- I appreciate that. I'd love to be in South Beach right now. I believe it hit a high of like around 65 today. Well, I was not feeling it. I'd rather be in that 85, 90 degree weather they got down in Miami. But back on track. Um, let's uh, let's head to the comments section, actually, yeah. James. Uh, I got you. Nicholas Formica. 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 Thank you, Nick. Apologize. Uh, just got here. Not sure if you guys touched on it, but do you think anyone has a chance to beat the Lakers now that the Clippers are out? Well, Good question. You want me to take it? Yeah, you can. You can uh, deflect that one. I, I'm. I got to think about that for a minute. Nick, to answer your question, I would have said no. I would have said no. To be quite honest with you, even though I picked the Clippers, they weren't looking like that team. I didn't think that. You know, having the tandem of Kawhi Leonard and having the, uh, Paul George as his sidekick, Batman and Robin, the way Paul George was playing, it was not going to be enough to beat LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I don't care what anybody says, whether the Clippers had a better all, all-around team than the L.A. Lakers. LeBron James just has that factor where he knows the team is in trouble and he puts the team entirety on his back. He does what he needs to do in order for his team to win. They don't even have a solidified third option. And I still think in this series against Denver, or even if it was against the Clippers, the way they played, if they did win last night, that the Lakers would still be the favorites to come out of this series. And even in the situation now in which they have right now, Denver playing the way they are, even though they've come back twice, not once, but twice, to play in a game seven and eliminate the team, whether it was the L.A. Clippers or whether it was the Utah Jazz, I don't think that LeBron James will allow that to happen to a team led by him. I don't see that as a possibility. Do I see Denver competing? Yes. I see them competing because I don't know who necessarily can be that lockdown defender on Jamal Murray. I don't see a matchup. I don't like the matchup of Rajon Rondo and him. Even though he's a good defender, he's not a great scorer. So you're not getting that offensive production from him. I see Nikola Jokic being a problem for LeBron James. As we know, he likes to drive the lane and get to the free throw line. Anthony Davis could be a definite X factor in this series, although he is the second best player on the Lakers. Being an outside threat, Nikola Jokic himself can be that as well. But once Nikola Jokic leaves the paint, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, they're way more athletic and quicker than him. And they'll beat him off the line every single day of the week. And I think that's where this team falters against this LA Lakers team. But to answer your question, now that the Clippers are out and now that we're going to see Denver versus the Lakers come Friday, I believe it is, or Saturday it is, I don't see any which way in which the Lakers are not appearing uh, representing the West in the, uh, in the finals. 
Nick, I want to bring up one more point. Sorry, James. Uh, and I just want to get this out here that might interest you. So, so far, we've seen the uh, the Nuggets and the two teams they've beaten in the playoffs. It's been Utah and it's been the Clippers. Neither team has had a big man threat that can score at the pace that Anthony Davis does. And I think Russo brought up an excellent point. Anthony Davis will be the X factor in this series, and he will be the reason why the Lakers make the NBA Finals. Not solely just him, but if they don't have him, I think it's very, very difficult for LeBron to do this himself. This can't be, um, you know, this can't be a team where it's LeBron and a bunch of shooters, and you know, seventy-five uh, percent Kevin Love. Now that you have you know, potentially another top five to 10 player in this league in Anthony Davis on your own team. That's going to cause the Nuggets a lot of problems because they're just coming off their second seven game series in a row. And if they get down to the Lakers, I do not think they will be able to come back and win it in seven games again. I don't know what you guys thought about that. That's my opinion. Uh, Anthony Davis is a lot better scorer than Rudy Gobert and Yvonne Zubak. Uh, no offense to those guys, but I think that's where you wear down Jokic and the Nuggets could just become flat offensively all of a sudden. Yep. No, I completely agree. I completely Bruce agree. Joe. Go ahead, James. I just wanted – he did a follow-up with possibly the heat question mark. I don't yeah, want to get to – That's why you guys were talking, so I didn't want to interrupt you guys with this comment because you guys were putting out some great stuff. So I don't want to jinx it. I really don't. But I'll tell you this. I didn't call it. But I did say at the beginning of the season, I said, don't be surprised that the Heat beat the Milwaukee Bucks. And I was surprised to see it only last five games, but I had a, I did think they were going to win. And because it's the mentality in which they play with. They play with an all-otherworldly type of mentality where they already know that the underdog is going into the game, but they don't care. They don't care. All you hear, you watch any sports television show, whether it's SportsCenter, ESPN, a sports talk show, listen to a podcast, everybody will repeat the same thing and say, the Heat are here beating the Boston Celtics. How did the Heat get to the Eastern Conference Finals? Well, I'll tell you. Led by GM Pat Riley, one of the greatest of all time. You know, this might be his last hurrah. This might be his last masterpiece. We'll see. But led by Pat Riley. Eric Spolstra, a coach in this league now for over a decade who's never seemed to really get the credit for what he's been able to accomplish. Yes, he had stars like Chris Bosh and LeBron James back in the early 2010s. There's no doubt that those are the reasons why maybe a coaching performance can be uh, more hyperbolized or maybe get overinflated. But when those guys left, when Chris Bosh went down with the blood clots, obviously LeBron left before CB, Eric Spolster was taking a team of nobodies and getting them above 500 every single season. He was getting this team to maybe a game away from missing the playoffs in which there was looks where this team had no hope. Now you give them a superstar. And Jimmy Butler, who, again, we talk about two-way stars, that's Jimmy Butler. That's Jimmy Butler, that dog mentality. He is the epitome. He represents the Miami Heat culture better than any single player that at least I've ever seen, maybe aside from Dwayne Wade. Jimmy Butler epitomizes that. The development program in which Bam Adebayo, the steps in which he's taken forward, unbelievable, unbelievable, the 180 in which he's been able to pull off in his career. From a guy that you saw maybe a potential five or four coming off the bench as a sixth, seventh man, scoring maybe 10 points, maybe getting 10 rebounds. This kid's an all-star and now making the biggest 
biggest play of his entire career last night, in my personal opinion. You know, we talk about blocks. LeBron James in the finals against Iguodala. LeBron James with the Heat back in the day against the Spurs where he blocks Thiago Splitter. That's one of the best blocks that I think that I've ever seen in my life. Game on the line, tie game right there that gives up. This is what this team is doing. Tyler Hero, the young sniper who's not afraid to shoot from anywhere. A young 19, 20-year-old kid pulling up from three like it's nothing. In the bubble, no playoff experience whatsoever, and shooting the lights out the house. And then you got other guys, of course, who I don't need to mention. You got veteran guys like Iguodala. You got other guys on this team like a Kendrick Nunn. Goran Dragic, who's been absolutely playing out of his mind offensively, efficiently from the three-point line, free-throw line, and shooting in general. I believe he shot 11 of 18 last night, 29 points, something along those lines. They're just playing on this complete different level. And yet at the same time, I don't know if you've watched this team closely throughout the season. It can't be a surprise because this is how they've been playing. They've been playing tight like this every single game in which they played throughout the season. Right. They are now nine and one in the bubble. They don't lose. I mean, this is this is the potential of this team that it's not crazy anymore to really say they could go to the NBA finals. It's not. It's not. And to your point, uh, if anybody does take down the Lakers, it will come out of the East. I agree with you 100%. The three-point win in overtime last night, it just goes to show you that they are able to win in clutch moments. They can perform at the highest level. Jimmy Butler has been in the playoffs before with the Chicago Bulls, with the Philadelphia 76ers, and Bam Adebayo, obviously that epic block you talked about. Now, i got to ask you, Goran Dragic, yeah, he had 29 points, but I think personally you have to start him the rest of the way. I think none needs to come off the bench. I think Dragic is definitely the better option yeah. point guard right now just because of his experience. And, you know, I bring this up like every three or four shows that we do, but remember he was Steve Nash's backup point guard in Phoenix yeah. for a couple of years. So yeah. just to show you Dragic's age, he's been around the block a few mm-hmm. times, especially – um, in the playoffs. So I think he'll start the rest of the way, but um, you know, the heat shot the rock really well, but over to Boston, we want to talk about Boston because we do have some viewers from Boston and some listeners on our podcast. Um, Tatum 30 points, 14 boards overall. You think that's a quality night, but he did not shoot the ball well from downtown. And I think that was Boston's downfall. Their three, their inability to make three pointers. And I also think Miami did a decent job in transition as well. Um, I think now they're really starting to miss Gordon Hayward. I don't think it was as much of a factor against Toronto because you really didn't have to worry about anybody outside of Spicy P, and they locked them down. They locked them down. Here, you need to worry about Butler. Bam. I'm going to throw Dragic in there, too. I'm going to throw Tyler Hero in there as well because they're all hot at the moment. So... If I'm Boston, I'm in trouble. You know, if Marcus Smart's your second leading scorer every game of this series, you will lose. You will lose. Even if it's 26 points for Marcus Smart, as great as that is, you need other pieces to step up. Jalen Brown, one for nine from three, that's not going to work. That's not going to connect the pieces to the puzzle to advance Boston to the NBA Finals. Daniel Tice is no match for Bam Adebayo. All due respect to him. Uh, How bad do the Celtics miss Gordon Hayward right now? I think there's some a lot in terms of offensive production off the bench because if you notice, once that first rotation goes out, they don't have 
another guy to go to. You know, you see off the bench for the Celtics last night, Brad Wanamaker, who barely got any minutes throughout the season, I believe averaged around 10 minutes or so, is giving you 11 points, which is the most off your bench. You're going to Robert Williams to potentially get some defensive production out of him. But other than that, they really don't have an option. Semi Ojale, you know, that starting lineup is is pretty good. Kemba Walker, Daniel Tice, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and Jason Tatum. I'll take that any day of the week. But after that starting five, they don't have another guy to go to, and that's why the Heat have been so fierce and so unbeatable because once that starting lineup of defense goes out, then they hit you with the scoring options, the quick start shooting. They hit you off the line. Tyler Hero leading this leading this bench right now. Kendrick Nunn being a solid option. Even Kelly Olynyk. Kelly Olynyk has been a great defensive presence as well as three-point shooter, not just in this series, but in, since he's gotten to the bubble, he's hit the three like no other season before. They've kind of developed that part of his game down in Miami for him. Spot up guy. With Gordon Hayward, because I obviously he didn't play last night. I don't know if he's going to be available tomorrow because I do believe they play tomorrow on Thursday. I know you said Friday earlier, but I do believe it is tomorrow. It's tomorrow, yeah. yeah. If the Heat go up 2-0, they need Gordon Hayward desperately. And maybe they don't even need Gordon Hayward desperately. I might retract that statement uh, thinking uh, my, uh, my thinking before my mouth. The problem in this series, Jason Tatum can carry your team. I, I think we talk about faces of the league. Jason Tatum, John Moran, Zion Williamson, Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, all those young guys below the age of 25, those are the guys that we talk about as potential exactly. faces of the league. He's great. Marcus Smart, yes, he shot 6 of 12 from the three-point line. Not a good three-point shooter all year round, but he's starting to hit from behind the arc. Love it. Can score, and we know the type of defense in which he can bring to the table. Jalen Brown, same thing. He could get a bucket. He could get his own bucket. He gets to the line. He's an efficient free-throw shooter. The problem in which Boston has right now is Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker has been god-awful. In fact, he even admitted it last night that he was horrible. I believe he shot one of nine from the three-point line. And we've never seen this side of Kemba before because we've never had the opportunity in a Charlotte uniform. He never had gotten this far. He never had been in this playoff type of scenario. I believe the furthest he'd ever been was to the first round. And the longest series in which he had was only about six, seven games. I believe it was actually to the Miami Heat back in the day three, four years ago. But he's never had that type of experience. And you're seeing that lackluster type of shooting really kill them in this series because Boston – in the fourth quarter last night, third quarter last night, had a 15-point lead. They should have closed out the Heat easily. They got great coaching. They have great defensive offensive players. It should have been easy. Mm-hmm. Kemba kept on shooting. It they happens. couldn't close out the deal. It happens. But let's move on. That game will be taking place tomorrow, and then the Lakers will start off against the Nuggets on Friday. Block C, we're going to talk about the New York Mets. Uh these New York Mets. That's Pete Alonzo, by the way, on the back. Um, 21 and 27. Fourth place in the National League East. They are a complete mess. They don't have any arms. They, they were one of the most stacked rotations last year heading into the season before um, the Castle started to fall apart, as where Syndergaard went down with Tommy John. Marcus Stroman opted out. Steven Matz has been on and off the IL. Zach Wheeler went to Philadelphia in the offseason. So that leaves you with Jake. Yes, they acquired Rick Porcello and Michael Waka, but just nothing is working no. for this team right now where Lugo's had to be promoted to a starter. David Peterson has had to get promoted 
Um, you know, I'm looking at this team. They're on a three-game losing skid. They're seven and a half back of the division, two and a half back of a wild card. They lost a two-game set to the Orioles last week. They lost two out of three to Toronto. They were off on Monday, and now it, it just seems that things just keep getting worse. Last night, they're playing Philadelphia. You know, critical divisional game against the team who's right there with them on the brink of the playoffs. And the Mets come out. They lose the game 4-1. to one, And the Mets had 11 hits. 11 hits and only one run to show. What, what does that tell you? Runners left in scoring position. Bats not clicking. Um, they outhit Philadelphia in this game, but they got outscored by three runs. Uh, only one run to show in this game off a Brandon Nimmo home run in the fifth inning. Rick Porcello falls to one and five on the season in six innings pitched, giving up four runs and six hits. Great. His ERA is now over six. No Mets starter saw their ERA go over five last year at any point. Just goes to show you how terrible the rotation is right now. It's so bad that the bullpen looks fantastic. Edwin Diaz is finally balling out, playing the best baseball of his life, and it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Where do I go from here? Well, Kyle, your good old friend, Didi Gregorius, hit a uh, two-run homer in the fifth inning. Jake Arrieta improves the 4-4 four and four on the season. The Philadelphia bullpen was solid, and they were on a three-game losing streak. Come on, take advantage of that. You have to do something with your offense. I just don't get it. Um, although Arietta, I believe he did leave the game with a right leg injury, so that is concerning. And that's ridiculous because he hit Andres Jimenez in the leg with a pitch right as that was happening. But, James, I know you were uh, engrossed in the uh, the Islanders game last night, so we didn't get to watch much of the Mets. But, I mean, you yeah. just tell from last night's game and all the games this past week, this team is just absolutely positively bad they're not going to the playoffs even though they're not far off it's just not going to happen things have uh hit the fan to say um if you guys go back to last week where i put up a video russo put up a video um to cover mlb and stuff um i even said they needed to take two if not sweep in buffalo in with toronto um you know to get them somewhat back on track but only taking one from them I mean, they should have sw- swept the Orioles. That's two games there. So you, that puts you a lot closer to at least 500. And then you lost last night, 4-1. to one. And then right now you have DeGrom versus Wheeler. The DeGrom, your ace right now. Wheeler, probably your second ace last season that he the Mets didn't want to sign back for whatever God-known reason there is. Um they're up. I think it's now two well, or it's it's three. It's well, three nothing. Three nothing. James, oh. James, I'm going to disagree a little bit. Zach Wheeler wanted way too much money, and at the time, well, it was the right decision to let Zach Wheeler walk. I would have preferred to keep him over a guy like Stephen Matz, but Matz was still on the contract, and they had just acquired Marcus Stroman to replace Zach Wheeler. And I think the Mets wanted to go the cheaper route. Uh, to get Waka and Porcello in, two experienced arms that somewhat try to compensate and band-aid, as I love to use that term with the Mets. Yeah. Well, I, two I, band-aids that are trying to take the place of one pitcher, and now 
neither of them are in the picture, James. Um, Yeah, I see what you're saying, but at the same time, that's because everybody knows at that time, the Mets organization doesn't like to spend money. Well, that's where it was interesting. It was was kind of interesting. Now that you look back on it uh, a year plus later, you trade for Marcus Stroman, who was one of the hottest pitchers in the league. What did you think was going to happen when he was a free agent? What was the plan? You were going to have to sign him to a big year, uh, big contract. And And now he's... And now he's a free agent after this season. He's not going to play for a game for you this season. What are you going to do now? I mean, he really leaves you in a, in a dilemma to really think about, considering that the season, as crazy as it sounds, is only about 15 more games left. It's getting so close to the end, the Dodgers just clinched the playoff spot. Yeah. yeah. So the Mets are down 3 nothing right now to Philadelphia. The Grom's given up three runs in two innings. And uh, surprise, surprise, Zach Wheeler just one hit over two innings. He's looking great. Um, although, you know, there are some bright spots with the Mets. Seth Lugo is the new number two starter. That's really good for him. You know, really nice to see him getting an opportunity. But, of course, it's at the expense of everybody else. Yeah. Um, the Mets will head home to play Atlanta over the weekend. My one question here, last question on the Mets, do we think – I mean, there's little room for error at this point after uh, you know a slow start tonight, but can the Grom potentially become the first player in MLB history to win three straight Cy Young awards? I think he's going to run away with it, to be honest with you. I, don't, I haven't been paying attention to the NL that much, but I don't think there's anybody in the NL – in terms of ERA that's even close to him at the moment. I know in the AL, Shane Bieber is going to walk away with it. Right. Uh, maybe. Is, is Darvish having – Darvish is having a good year. I don't think he comes close in terms of ERA, but his wins – I think he's undefeated. Right. Yeah. He I, – I, he might have one loss, but I don't think you can give it to Darvish because – Again, wins don't – again, we've brought this up in the past. The Grom won the Cy Young the year he went 9-8 and eight back in 2018, two years ago. And everybody was arguing you can't do that. Right. But he was the best pitcher in baseball all year. He played on an atrocious team that scored, I believe um, – One run per for him? Per they, they averaged between one to two runs over an eight-game span in June. It, it was yeah. really bad. Um, that was around the time I flew out to Phoenix uh, two summers ago to watch them play at Chase Field, and that was another uh, wildfire. Uh, but, yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Let's get to the Yankees now. Kyle Russo, your New York Yankees, uh, they are 27-21, and 21, currently second in the AL East thanks to their win over Toronto last night. They are four games back of the Tampa Bay Rays, and they currently hold the second wild card spot on a six-game win streak all of a sudden after, uh, you know, a lot of concern due to injury. They get Giancarlo Stanton back. Um, they had a four-game sweep of the Orioles over the weekend. Unfortunately, though, they did lose James Paxton to the 45-day IL with a left flexor strain. His season is probably over unless the Yankees advance deep into the playoffs. And now Kyle last night, again, you had a nice little trip, triple header going on Miami, the <laughs> Islanders, and then the Yankees, a 20 to six victory over the Toronto Blue Jays Whoa. featuring six long balls. 
knock on wood, we could see that uh, repeat tomorrow uh, for my fandom and my sake. But they needed their health back. And I want to say one thing. I don't want to say it right now. I get it. Mike Trout might be the greatest player of my generation, maybe your guys' generation. I don't know how highly you rate him. Obviously, you guys are older than me. I don't know how, how highly you rate him, but he's definitely the greatest player of my generation. If Luke Voigt does not win the MVP this year, oh. I am going to be astonished. You know, we talk about pitching, and we talk about how, in the sense of the Grom, he's on an atrocious team. And we've been seeing over the past couple of years the same thing with the L.A. Angels. They're not making the playoffs this year. Even in extended playoffs, they're not making it. But the way that Luke Voigt has single-handedly carried this Yankees team on his back, on his back, the only source of offense for this Yankees team for about a month, he has been consistent, he has been flawless, whether it's being a defenseman at the first base position, whether it's been up at the plate, smashing to the moon last night, two home runs, not one but two, leads the league right now with 18 I would be astonished. I really would be. Because this is a guy who's carried his team to that victory, to those wins in the win column, getting themselves ahead of Toronto, in which they look to go for seven tonight because they're already beating Toronto right now, 3 nothing, only in the second inning. Luke Voigt is that guy. He has been that guy. And back to the concern of health, they got DJ LeMahieu back. Tom... Giancarlo Stan didn't have any hits last night, but good to see him back. Gio Rochelle is back. Aaron Judge is now back. They're getting healthy at the right time and the wrong time for every team in the AL. Because now the Yankees have caught their stride. A little bit of a surprise. Very happy that it's come and the way it's come. Devi Garcia has looked amazing. He's been probably the most consistent pitcher. I'd even say more than Garrett Cole over the course of the last couple weeks. He's been fantastic. The bullpen is starting to come about. Zach Britton looks like the old Zach Britton. Chad Green looks good again. Adam, Adam Adovino's doing his thing. Chapman's doing his thing. They're doing what they need to do to put W's in the win column. Because even if they finish out completely winning this season with no losses for the rest of the season, they still won't hit 40 wins. They'll still have 21 losses on the season, which is a decent portion considering you only play 60 games. But yet they're doing what they need in order to move up in the seating and to put W's in the win column. And that's why I think this team is hitting the stride at the wrong time for every other team in the MLB right now, in my personal opinion. That's fair. Are you ready for this, for this uh, counter-argument here? Shoot. Luke Voigt is not winning AL MVP. I know he's not going to, but he should. It's going to be Jose Abreu. The guy has 21 more hits than Luke Voigt. He has 13. Oh, Abreu? I would, have, I would have said the Nelson Chicago, Cruz. I would have said White Nelson Sox Cruz. are in the playoffs strictly because of him and their pitch. I wouldn't say that. They have uh, Luis Roberto, Yon Makana. I understand, but Abreu is the catalyst for them. Dallas Keuchel is a solid pitcher for them. They have, they, have a, they have a decent all-around team. And again, the difference is, I'll tell you what the difference is, they have not been hurt like the Yankees. That's the difference. An MVP is a guy that can carry the team on his back. That's why Mike Trout has won it for so long. He's been able to carry them to even a glimpse of maybe reaching the playoffs. Luke Voigt is bringing them back into this playoff conversation single-handedly right now. 
I see your point, but Chicago was a terrible baseball team last year, and now they're no, in. They weren't. Tim Anderson won the batting title. They were starting. I told you, come this season, when the season started, I told you, the Chicago White Sox are going to be in the playoffs, and they are going to compete. Did I think they'd be the number one seed? No, but they are a hell of a good baseball team. This Kyle, year. they lost 89 games last year. Because this they didn't have pitching. Transformation, though. They this is have a pitching transformation. It's no doubt. It's no doubt, but it's not a surprise, and they've stayed healthy, which have been very fortunate in their favor. They also play in a division in which, to be quite honest with you, has absolutely no competition, especially since the Cleveland Indians traded away almost half of their good players at the trade deadline. They kind of almost gave up in a sense. But I I get what you're saying. Uh, But back to the Yankees for a second. Yankees did get some help last night with those couple of extra runs. Derek Fisher... Uh, Blue Jays outfielder dropping two fly balls into right field that um, (laughs) led to that uh, eventual insane inning. Garrett Cole on the mound tonight against Tanner Rourke. The Yankees are in the lead. Um, Yankees will finish up with the Blue Jays tomorrow. Then they will be at Boston over the weekend. So very exciting for your Yankees, Kyle. They're back in the mix. Way to go. Awesome. So at the time... Uh, my favorite segment of the show, Team of the Week. Team of the Week is back. This is our uh, second week doing it. And without further ado, James, I'd like to start with you and hear your Team of the Week. All right. So my Team of the Week actually comes from uh, the land of NFL of football. Week one. The land of NFL. Yeah. Like <laughs> um so as you guys know we do a quick pick segment uh everybody pick the eagles except your boy i picked washington the washington football team washington football team came out with the w also a fun fact not a fun kind of a fun fact but more of a uh a, a note on the side um during halftime ron rivera was not able to make a speech to the team he got IV for his recently diagnosed cancer to keep him on the field for the second uh, half of the game. During that time, their quarterback stepped up and led the speech, and they came out with a victory. So that is actually two victories in a sense, uh, one for Washington winning over Philly, but also for such a young quarterback to realize he is almost the face of the team. He needs to step up and lead the team during – a situation where his coach needed to take care of himself at the moment. Yeah, definitely a win also for Ron Rivera, new head yes. coaching situation, first win on the season. Very nice to see that happen. Not a bad choice at all, Kyle. Uh, well, if it wasn't obvious, uh, the Miami Heat, the Miami Heat. I mean, <laughs> listen, guys, listen. The way they played against this Milwaukee Bucks team, the way they addressed the Boston Celtics last night, although at some points in that game come the third period, uh, third quarter, I did have some doubts. I did have some doubts, but they kept themselves in the game with the mentality and the mindset in which they play in, led by Eric Spolster and Pat Riley. Um, they're just an incredible team on a hot run right now. And you know what? Somebody's got to put the heat out, and I don't see a team potentially, at least in this Eastern Conference, uh, matchup putting them out they, they're just they, they they're hitting on all all sin all cylinders they're getting to the free throw line shooting efficiently shooting behind the arc over 50 percent shooting from the field uh shooting field goals over 50 percent 
they've been a fantastic team. I don't really see anybody stopping them down because nobody's been able to do it so far. That's my team of the week. I like it. Uh, That's definitely a good pick. Um, Sir James went football. Kyle went basketball. Um, Look, I I just think it's tough because you've had teams that have had really great weeks. You had the Nuggets come back from being down 3-1. My bias would say the Jacksonville Jaguars, but I'm going to go with the Dallas Stars. Um, Look, First time you've done something in two decades. It's very, it's a monumental moment. And the fact that they upset the number one seed Vegas Golden Knights, I think that is going to propel them over everyone else. So uh, Dallas Stars are my team of the week. That's a good pick. I like it. Also, one thing we didn't mention with Elias earlier, I really loved what Klingberg and Lindell brought to the table uh, defensively in that series for Dallas against Vegas. Miro Heiskanen too. He's uh he might win the con Smythe, to be quite honest with you. He's been fantastic. There's a good shot at that. Um all right. So speaking of teams, let's get to our team, the New York football giants. We are 0-1. Sudden yep. pause. Um I, I don't think this comes by surprise. I think this comes by tradition at this point over the past six years. Such uh, a horrible tradition. Um the Giants lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers 26 to 16, but I've got to say the Giants put out a really good, hard fought effort in this yes. game. Uh, they led 10 to 3 early on. They forced a fumble on a punt. Um, and I thought Jones looked good, especially in that first half. He, uh, he deked out Minka Fitzpatrick very nicely on the play action to hit Darius Slayton. Uh, deep in the end zone for that touchdown. If there's one weakness in Pittsburgh's defense, it is their corners, their young corners. So I think the 41-yard touchdown play was my moment of the game. Slayton had two touchdowns in this game, and fun fact, he has the most touchdown receptions out of any wide receiver in the NFL since week five of last year. He has 10 touchdowns since that point. So congratulations to the second-year guy, Darius Slayton. You know, Tom, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, um, talking with Lance Meadow, you know, who's going to be uh, uh, Daniel Jones' security blanket in a sense. And he said Darius Slayton, that's going to be the guy. And uh, we're seeing it already only one week into the NFL season, just the faith and trust they have within each other to get each other the ball and uh, to secure some points on the board. But let's, uh, let, let's focus with this Giants team. I, I want to – I saw a lot of good things. I saw a lot I, of good things. But this team, I saw a lot of bad things. I saw I, a lot of bad things. Tom, before we move on, since we are covering that span, um, when you mentioned the, the fumble off of yeah. the punt, if Joe Judge did put out the challenge flag, would you have think he would have won it for a touchdown? I mean... Potentially. Remember, I was having issues with my TV in that first quarter. If you guys remember, my cable box wasn't setting up properly, so I missed most of the first quarter. But I did see a clip of the play. Um, I'll be honest with you, it's very 50-50. I don't know if there was enough evidence to overturn it. I think if the ruling on the field um, you know, was a touchdown, it might have stood. But since the ruling on the field was not, you know, I, yeah. I think that was the correct play to rule it a recovery by the Giants, but no score. Would you guys have a like to see a new head coach coming in, throwing the challenge flag the first game as the Giants say coach, like give some of that little bit of an edge, you know? 
You know what like, it is? It's it's a fifty it's a fifty fifty toss up because you know what it is. Some people will knock him and be like, uh, you're, "You're a new coach and already pulling a move like that." You know, or risking your team potentially. Why are you doing that? And then you could win it. But I, I would have to agree with Tom. It was too close to overturn in a sense. So I didn't hate know, that. I, in fact, in fact, I actually, to be honest with you, we talk about the positives of this team, and then we'll get into the negatives. The uh, many negatives of uh, week one so far. Joe Judge and Jason Garrett. And Patrick Graham. I like this staff, guys. I really like this staff so far. I saw some offensive plays out of Jason Garrett's playbook that was surprising. I haven't seen this by a Giants team in years. Some of the things in which they were running, whether even though even with the run game, which wasn't successful at all, not even a little bit. Not not even this much. Uh, uh, not even this much. What run, run game? game? But Daniel Jones was protected in the pocket. He got yeah. sacked three times, which you know, you might say that's a bad thing. This is against arguably the best defense in all of football with Bud Dupree on one side and J.J. Watt on the other with Cam Hayward right up the middle. T.J. Watt, T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt, T.J. Watt. Fact, neither of those guys, twins on each side, Watt and Dupree, had a sack in this game. Yeah, it all came from other guys. Yeah, it was, it was very – and to it, so. But was very, very impressed in the protection in which I was seeing of Daniel Jones. They will have to figure out Cam Fleming – you know, I give him a break because he did match up against T.J. Watt. That's a difficult task for anybody starting in there. I believe that was one of his first career starts at the right tackle position. And Nick Gates as well. I'll give him a break, even though he got rushed up the middle a lot. Yeah, a lot. I'll mm-hmm. give him a break. Maybe they want to move him back to the uh, guard tackle position. I don't know if he can play center, maybe work Spencer Pulley back in that lineup. You're going to potentially see, again, we talked about it in the beginning of the season, maybe Matthew Pert come week four, week five, depending on where the Giants stand. He might get some reps at that right tackle position depending on what Cam Fleming does. But really like the protection of what I saw. Andrew Thomas did a great job. He did a really, really good job of protecting Daniel Jones. I was impressed. Daniel Jones was safely able to get to the ball, get the ball to his receivers. They're better at pass protecting than run protecting. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. That's, that's, that was a point upon the negative. We knew Barkley wasn't going to go off by any means in this game. We knew it was going to be a game where he'd have to fight hard for his yards, but nobody would expect a final total of six rushing yards oh for, Sa- for Saquon Barkley on 15 carries. That's less than Big Ben had. Yeah. Barkley Daniel had Jones had in the first half. I do believe I, Daniel Jones had more as well, James. Stanley he did. He did. Jones yeah. had 22 or 29, something like that. I don't um, know. You know, we talk about the, the work of Dave Gettleman, and no matter how many coaches they bring in, it just doesn't seem to work. At this point in time, I don't even know if I could blame him anymore because he's – I think he's found something with, with a pass-blocking team. But drafting a guy in Saquon Barkley with the second overall pick, a perennial talent comparison to Eric Dickerson, Emmett Smith, and Barry Sanders, you have to get a line that could run block. This team cannot do that come week one. And to be quite honest with you guys, come week two against the Chicago Bears defense – I personally don't know if it's going to change. Come week three against the San Francisco 49ers defense, I don't know if it's going to change. Come week four against an L.A. Rams defense, I don't know if that's going to change. And that's a big problem because Saquon Barkley is probably and still is your best asset and weapon on this team. The fact that he can't get going at all. It took him 40 minutes to get positive yardage in the run column. Positive yardage, 40 minutes in the game. To finally get some pot of, uh, positive yardage on the board. He that also, cannot happen. He also, um, 
he did have 60 receiving yards. I'll give him that on six catches. And it was good that they got him the ball. But Tiki Barber gave him some harsh criticism today. Maybe not harsh. I view it as more constructive. But um, saying that Barkley may not be in every down back, well, that is somewhat harsh. But um, saying that he cannot pass protect, I think that's why the Deion Lewis signing was very uh, imperative to Barkley's future in this league because Deion – needs to teach the kid how to pass protect the coaches. I mean, look, he, he, I saw a play on instant replay where he literally couldn't get to the pass rusher yep. where Jones got sacked. And sometimes I think the giants, even though golden Tate missed this game due to an injury, the giants have enough receiver talent at this point where Barkley can stay and block for a couple of plays. I mean, you have Slayton, you have Shepard, you have Evan Ingram. You have Caden Smith. Those are four guys that are capable of making plays. Tate, too, when he's healthy. Barkley needs to stay to block sometimes. That's a good point. Tiki Barber was smaller than Saquon Barkley, and Kerry Collins and Eli Manning were, were not on their backs that much, especially in their first couple of years. Daniel Jones, look, he's gotten a huge raw end of the deal. I understand only three sacks, but... There was a lot of rush throws, you know, for instance, the two interceptions where the little out routes, Evan Ingram, you know, that's Jones's fault. Don't get me wrong, but he might have had an extra second or two if Barkley picked up his man. And then the same thing. uh, I forget what play it was. Um, It might have been. Gosh, it it was in the second half. Mm -hmm. Steelers had the lead. They were rushing. It was a third and long play. And then Jones had to just kind of flush out and then took a huge hit. I believe it was from Watt. And you just see Barkley looking at him, dodges to the right, tries to get back to the left, but doesn't get there in time. That's his, that's his major flaw. Tiki Barber, uh, you know, it's an excellent argument that, that a running back should be able to pass block. But you know a position on a team should really be able to pass block? Run block or pass block is your tight end, right? And the Giants tried three different tight ends to pass block, and they all failed miserably. Well, I mean, Smith couldn't do it. Evan Ingram couldn't do it. And Levine Toilolo, which was the main, is, was basically Rhett Ellison's replacement, could not do it either. And I want to get into the negatives now as we review this Giants team. But Evan Ingram. Okay. Go, okay. Go, shoot, shoot, shoot. No, no, yeah, I, 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 was, I was just going to bring him up, actually, because. I'll have you go off. Maybe we touch the same point so we don't have to repeat ourselves. Okay, Evan Ingram. I get it. It's been a year since you played a game of football. You have a lot of jitters. I get it. First couple plays, fine. Acceptable, maybe. You're not on the same page with your quarterback. That should have been a touchdown any day of the week. I don't care what anybody says. They should not have had to kick the field goal. Evan Ingram on the route was waiting behind a Steelers defenseman didn't realize the route in which Daniel Jones was running. That's miscommunication on his fault. I believe he had nine targets in this game with only two catches. Mm -hmm. He dropped about four of these passes. Which isn't new. Which straight up dropped about four of these passes. He He wasn't good. He can't block. What what is he – at this point in time, I get it. It's week one, great defense, first game back in a year. What is their plan with Evan Ingram? But Because after one week of football – after one week, you know, I get it. It's one week. I get it. But he has made every single mistake possibly that you could make at his position or just as an asset on the field that you could make. Messing up with your quarterback, not being able to protect your quarterback, not being able to catch to get first downs because that was a struggle in what you saw in the first half as well. 
The Giants couldn't get a first down for the life of them. And that's why the Steelers kept on advancing. Every third down and long, they just kept on getting it, whether it was to Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson on the, uh, on the cross route, Juju Smith-Schuster uh, in the end zone, oh, wide open. Beautiful. Evan Ingram, you have to be able to block and protect. Obviously, listen, Saquon Barkley needs to improve upon that. We've known that since year one in the NFL. That's been something he needs to improve upon. It's year three now. He needs to step it up. Great defense again. Maybe not the team to really show that. Maybe he doesn't want to risk his body on the line against that type of defense. But Evan Ingram, you have to be able to do something if you are going to be starting one of these 11 people on the field because he did nothing really to contribute to anything except for kind of put this team in a bad position. They put him in a really bad position, to be quite honest with you. I hate to say it because I know what he can be. We've all seen what he can be as an asset on this team. You know, we saw some sparks of what uh, a healthy Evan Ingram could do last year in Daniel Jones' first game in Tampa. The Evan Ingram looked phenomenal. I'm, I'm just, I'm not seeing that week one. And I hate to say that that could be the storyline for the rest of the season. But knowing that the Giants, especially in the upcoming weeks, are going to have to play some tough defenses, that's something that has to improve upon like yesterday. That has to improve. But this is something we see We see last year. We see when he was first brought to the team. This is the same recurring statement, Russo, that you say, Tom say, I say, every Giant fan probably says he can't block. And one of his catches, he only goes out with one hand. You're not Odell, which can catch it with his shoes and Two eyes closed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So for him to try to do that, you – it wasn't even like your other hand was being held. Grab it. Right. Then with then with Barkley, I'm sorry, but I agree with Tiki. I do. He should be coming up now. He should be able to be putting his body more on the line for his quarterback. If he wants to see the ball, he should step up a little bit. Yes, do I do I agree that he need? It's kind of a learning curve. He needs an experienced guy to teach him that. I do. But at the same time, when Evan Ingram can't block and you two are both on the same side, and then you have, say, for example, Nick Bosa, we see. You said San Francisco, right, Russo? Or Cleo Mack. You have Evan Ingram and Barkley on the same side that Bosa now needs to get through almost three players before hitting your quarterback. He's going to shove Bosa. He's going to shove Ingram out of the way like he's he's a trash can. He's going to push Barkley out of the way. That will give him somewhat of a problem, hopefully. And then get to the quarterback. I'm yeah. sorry. They need a both step up. This you're not is wrong. unacceptable. You're, you're not wrong. Where I disagree with the okay. Saquon statement is, is that we saw last season. No, with the Saquon statement. Uh, where I disagree with Saquon is that this is a guy that you want on the field. This is the guy, if anybody, that I want him not putting his body on the line if he doesn't have to. And, and right. in an offense where they should be able to block at least in year three with him now, figure something out. The, the, the question shouldn't be, oh, it's Saquon's fault because he can't block. No, it's the Giants' fault because they don't put a running block defense in front of him so he could get something. 40 minutes of negative yardage. Come on. And then you ask the guy to put his body on the line? No. So I side with Tiki strictly because Dion Lewis is your third down back that should be pass protecting. Um, Evan Ingram, look. It makes me miss Red Ellison. Cam Fleming makes me miss Mike Remmers. 
Um, maybe you explore Pulley and then Gates at right tackle. Gates was pretty decent there last year, but you can't abandon an experiment after just one week. I think there is a lot of good components to this game. Uh, the 19-play drive that lasted nearly nine minutes, 87 yards. Unfortunately, that ended in the interception to Cameron Hayward. That was rough. That was only the, the third drive since 1999 to last that long and ended a turnover. Wow. Yeah. So we're talking 21 years, realistically. Um, the Steelers outrushed the Giants in this game. Here come the numbers, guys. The analytics are coming out. 141 to 29. Defensive- With the backup running back. With the back of running back. With Snell, yeah, Snell, who had 113 yeah. yards, and Snell had the third most rushing yards in the league. Keep in mind, David DeCastro was out. He wasn't available due to an injury. And Zach Banner uh, tore his ACL in the first half of the game. So yeah. they had a shuffle. that had to put uh, – Filer had to move from right tackle to left guard, and then they had to replace Banner later on in that game. The Giants, yeah, they did have two sacks. You know, Leonard Williams looked okay. Dexter Lawrence looked okay. The two bright spots to me on this defense were Blake Martinez and Lorenzo Carter. Mm-hmm. Lorenzo Carter set up that sack for Dexter Lawrence. And Blake Martinez with the 12 tackles, a lot of his tackles were pretty much right near the line of scrimmage. That's what you ask for. It's not just him getting 12 tackles. It's where they were on the field. Anybody, any middle linebacker can, can get 12 tackles. But is it 10, 15 yards down the field? Or is it within that range where you put the Pittsburgh Steelers in a position where, you know, in second and long, third and long? And I thought Martinez did a pretty good job of that. And the unnoticed part of this game for the Giants is Riley Dixon. Nobody talks about the punter on the Giants. Why does nobody talk about the punter on the Giants? Because he's doing a good job. He did a good job last year, too. He downed three of his five punts inside the 20-yard line. Who does that remind me of? Jeff Fiegels. I think Riley Dixon is an excellent punter in the NFL. I really do. I I don't want to sit here and talk about the punter for five minutes, but real real quickly, guys, uh, thoughts on the uh, special teams being, you know, Joe Judge is uh, in charge now. It was definitely effective. I, I, you know, we talked about it uh, sporadically throughout the game, how uh, the use of Jabril Peppers as the kick punt returner was definitely uh, nice to see as he is an athletic freak. But, you know, we saw it in the latter part of the game. He did eventually go out. He walked off the field because he got hurt in a sense. I don't know what his status is potentially for week two, but he did look like he got hurt because they're overworking the guy. How can you expect the guy to just play – 20 snaps on defense, 15 snaps on defense, and then go have the energy to kick return a ball. You can't do that. And to put his body on the line, everybody knows that's probably one of the most dangerous plays in football. Yep. And that's your best safety. Yeah. That's your don't best safety. You don't have McKinney either. So if he, you know, if he's gassed, you're working with Julian Love, and then uh, maybe you throw Logan Ryan back there, who I thought was, you know, didn't see much action. Uh, Monday night, and that's explanatory because they just signed him the previous week. Yeah, Isaac Yadam was awful. Gave up that touchdown with the lollipop throw where I thought Roethlisberger threw that ball halfway across the state of New Jersey to get it to Juju. 
and there's Yadam who's falling behind and just can't get there. Yeah. That shouldn't happen. Every time a quarterback rolls out to his right and throws across the field to his left, that should be intercepted nine out of ten times. Yep. Ballantyne, Ballantyne looked horrible against Deontay he Johnson. He was really yeah. bad. He was terrible. You know, Kyle, and you know, you're going to laugh at this, but Darnay Holmes should have started the game. And, you know, I'm very against starting rookies. Yeah. I'm very, very against it. You I guys know. know. Listen, but Holmes but, started over Ballantyne. But even Darnay Holmes, they when they played him, they they kind of left him at the dry. They matched up Darnay Holmes, who's like a five nine safety, five eight safety, and put him on the best receiver on the Steelers' offense in, in Juju. Yeah. Well, like, what are you doing? How, how how can you possibly expect to win a football game that way? So quickly here before we get to the New York Jets, let's talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster did have the two touchdowns that tied his career high. And the return of Ben Roethlisberger after missing 14 games in 2019 due to his injury. Went 21 for 32, around 230 passing yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Uh, Great to see if you're Big Ben. Remember, he left 2018 as the NFL passing leader with over 5,000 yards. Um I loved what I saw from him. This was a very low penalized game. And I think what really made this performance stick out to me was he lost James Conner due to an ankle injury early on where Snell had to come in, run the football. The O-line was great. And he got the ball to his receivers. Eric Ebron made a couple nice catches. James Washington had a touchdown. I thought Pittsburgh was really good in this game. Um, I thought judge and the coaching staff, you know, I, I liked what I saw. There was fight in this team and guys, you know, the Giants are on primetime Monday Night Football, so the whole country is watching, right? All football fans across the country are watching. So fans of all teams are watching this game, and I'm getting my friends like Paul Lombardi, Dom, and you know all, all those guys, like fans of other teams, they're telling me the Giants actually look pretty decent. They look pretty good. And this is coming from fans of other teams. Yeah. So there are definitely a lot of positives in this, and one that you guys may not know, Daniel Jones tied Kerry Collins for the second most games with 20 plus completed passes in Giants history. That's consecutive games with 20 plus completed passes. That's good. I don't know if I made that clear on the script, but that's, that's the stat line right there. Yeah, no consecutive definitely cleared it up because I was going to say in his entire career, damn Daniel Jones, you know, already putting up those numbers in less than a year played in football, but no, that, listen, he had his bright spots, but we saw him falter as well. You know, yeah. Am Fleming kind of messed that one up, but that you got to be intelligent enough as a quarterback to throw the ball to the side or take the intentional grounding or take the sack. You can't, you can't have Something. that type of play. You can't have that type of play. So we had to Soldier Field to play the Bears in Week 2. We're not going to spend much time on this so that we can get to the Jets, but last year the Bears won 19-14 in their meeting. The Giants right now have the 12th-ranked defense in the NFL through week one. Fun fact. Um, the Bears, they trailed 23-6 to late against the Lions in the third quarter on Sunday. They came back to win, scoring 21 unanswered points. Matt Nagy, 5-0 and against the Lions, and I, that's why I picked the Bears on the road. Very successful against them. Uh, Robert Quinn obviously missed week one, and the Bears were still able to pull it out. But... My one question to you guys in this game is Andrew Thomas is going to have the very difficult assignment of trying to contain Khalil Mack. Um, well, first been, of all, let's collaborate on that and make predictions for this game. Well, did you guys hear he's questionable? 
Oh, he is. Yeah, he but is. so, I think but probably. Uh, yeah, he'll probably suit up. But just keeping that in mind. Go ahead. I mean, listen, two weeks in the league, even going to be three weeks in the league, he's probably going to have the hardest uh, fight-offs of his life, starting with Bud Dupree, Khalil Mack, and potentially Nick Bosa the next week. But I do think the Giants come out victorious. I think the one thing that they need to do is study tape on the Lions game last week, and I say that for one reason one reason only. Adrian Peterson at 36 years old, 37 years old, was able to put up 100 yards rushing on this Bears defense. Saquon Barkley is more than capable of doing the same. They need to find the key in which to take advantage of that Bears defense the same way that the Detroit Lions did. I did pick the Giants in this game. I do think they win it out. It's going to be tight because that Bears defense is going to keep them in the game. But I do think the Giants come out victorious in this game. This will be a very low-scoring game, yep. similar to last year. I think only one team, I think that team is the Giants. I think the Giants win by a final score of 22 16. The Giants will only give up one touchdown in this game. Um, three field goals. Um, I think the defense continues to improve. Um, I don't think the Bears, I mean, look, I, I, I give all due respect to Anthony Miller, who's a really good young player, but I think there's a little controversy in the locker room right now. And I'm just not sure Trubisky will be able to exploit the Giants' defensive weaknesses especially with his horrendous offensive line in front of him. So I'm going to go uh, I'm going to go Giants 20 to 16. Monty Giants uh 17-10. Oh, and I'll give you a score, Tom. I'll give you 13 to 10. I'll give you 13 to 10 Giants. Wow. It's going to be a defensive matchup for the ages. And hopefully Golden Tate is back. Um, that was key. Yeah. You know, a lot of people forgot, yeah, Golden Tate's missing on Monday Night Football. So it'll be interesting. And hopefully in a few weeks back, we'll get David Mayo as well. I think he'll help out at the linebacker position because I was not impressed with Devontae Downs. He was barely on the field. Um, but anyway, let's get to the Jets. They fall to the Bills 27-17. They were down 21 nothing early. And Matt Perino... All this hype about Josh Allen in our interview with him, Bills B reporter, a few weeks ago, uh, close to a month ago now, and Josh Allen becomes the first Bills quarterback to top 300 passing yards in over three years. The Bills have not had a 300-yard passer in the last three years before Sunday. Wow. And Josh Allen finally did it. He threw for 312 yards, two touchdown passes. He was also the Bills' leading rusher with 57 yards and a touchdown. However, Allen, the young quarterback, does have ball security issues. He did cough the ball up twice, uh, lost both of them to the Jets. The Bills did overcome injuries to two of their starting linebackers, Tremaine Edmonds and uh, Matt Milano. And, you know, I've got to say, I liked what I saw out of their receivers. Stephon Diggs was solid in his Bills debut. So was John Brown. John Brown had a touchdown. And it's a big part of the reason why the Bills outgained the Jets 404 to 254. They had 31 first downs compared to the Jets, who didn't even get half of that. And then the Bills dominated time of possession, over 41 minutes time of possession. They had three sacks, one coming from Trent Murphy, um, who many weren't 100% certain he would start. Really, the only flaw for Buffalo in this game to me was the two fumbles by Josh Allen and the rookie kicker missing two kicks. Other than that, 
I was very impressed with what I saw from the Buffalo Bills. I happen to agree with you, Tom. Um, I'm a little surprised Diggs wasn't the main target at times, um, but I'm sure he's still trying to work into that system and Josh Allen's still trying to get comfortable with them, et cetera. Um, I do recall the announcers saying that they were surprised in how often they saw Josh Allen run only because I, um, I know the bills are trying to get away from that because of his fumbles and, you know, yeah, yeah, no, I, I would agree with you 100% just because based on the fact that they drafted Zach Moss, who is one of the highest-rated rookie running backs out of this year's NFL draft to go along with Devin Singletary, adding your final star receiver, making, you know, kind of telling Josh Allen that we want you to be more of that quarterback presence. Even though you did rush for nine touchdowns last year, we don't want you to get hurt. Yeah. Because you he is the franchise. He's the franchise player. You they can still run, but yeah. not as often. every other play, yeah. Yeah. So, but otherwise the bills look great. In my yep. opinion. I agree. Um, let's talk about the jets. Now, Sam Darnold, uh, I got the opportunity to announce, um, a game Friday night on nine 11, uh, police department versus the fire department of New York. And my broadcast partner, John Heffernan, um, who was actually in the movie draft day back in 2014. If you guys remember that, um, wow. you know, he's done a lot of interviews with NFL teams and players and one whatnot. He interviewed Sam Darnold as a rookie two years ago. And right away he knew Darnold is not the answer for this franchise. He's not the long-term answer. He just didn't like his attitude. He didn't really want to be there. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure that's a hundred percent accurate, but I do think Sam Darnold, Darnold is still struggling year three. Yeah, I get it. There's nothing around him, but at least with Daniel Jones, we've seen signs of him being a franchise quarterback around, you know, an atrocious Giants team last year. We haven't seen that yet with Sam Darnold. Uh, look, year one was promising, but year two, it just went downward. And it is, look, I understand week one, it might not be fair to critique this much, but he didn't, he didn't look good. I'll be honest with you. He had a lot of bad throws. Um, I get it. Bell got hurt. Only six carries. He's now on IR for the next three weeks. They had to sign Kalen Balage yesterday, Ballage. But um, the wide receivers are thin. They lost Denzel Mims. But outside of that 69-yard touchdown pass to Jamison Crowder, Sam Darnold was probably one of the worst quarterbacks last week in week one. Again, you just you can't, you can't blame him. As much money as they put into that offensive line, again, the Bills have a great defense. They look terrible. The only bright spot on that offensive line, surprisingly, was rookie Mekhi Becton, left tackle. Actually, I believe he got one of the highest uh, rookie ratings so far from week one as an offensive lineman drafted, uh, if not the highest. Losing your, your, you know, your security blanket in Le'Veon Bell, already having no receivers. You know, Denzel Mims, who they drafted to kind of be that guy. No presence. He was injured. Brashad Perryman and Jameson Crowder is a slot receiver. Is nowhere near number one receiver. Well, like that cannot be your reliable number one receiver week in and week out. It's going to have to be, unfortunately. But that's not the best of options. And then you know Adam Gase. You know what? What is he? Is he the coach that's going to turn Sam Darnold into that quarterback? I think Sam Darnold can very well be that quarterback. Over the last three years, he's got a bad deck of cards, a bad hand, a really really bad hand, and it seems to be getting worse and worse every year, not better. And I think that's where he's faltering. The offensive line continues to decline. 
the receiving depth continues to decline, the running back position now where your best option is Frank Gore. I mean, it's just – and Frank Gore, I love him. He's 38 years old. I mean, they're just – they're putting him in a really bad situation right now. And I right. can't I can't blame him. Well, the defense has gotten hurt a little too. Blake Cashman, the linebacker heading to IR. Uh, Crowder had 100 receiving yards. That was great with the touchdown. Marcus May, 10 tackles, two sacks. You know, the Jets were able to put up some numbers, but uh, overall they don't have any weapons offensively right now. You know, Brashad Perriman, I think something happened to him. And, uh, you know, you're left with Chris Hogan out there with Jamison Crowder, who just got signed a little less than a month ago. So, Kyle and James, you're sitting here. You got the 49ers in week two. They're 0-1. They're mad. They're angry. They lost to a young up-and-coming Cardinals team. They have to – well, the Jets will be home for that game, but uh, the 49ers are going to be coming in without Richard Sherman, who was placed on IR. They will not have Debo Samuel either. So they're without their number one wide receiver, and they're without their number one cornerback. George Kittle's a little banged up too, but um, what do you guys think? You think the 49ers – express their uh, displeasure of losing in week one to the Jets on Sunday? I think so. I think, I, think they, I think they keep it tight, to be quite honest with you. As bad as the Jets looked this week, they kept it tight with the Buffalo Bills. They really did. And they came back in a sense when it looked like all hope was lost. They at least lost with you know some pride. Uh, I forgot what the final score was, but it wasn't as terrible as what they had started the game off with. And a team in the 49ers where now I'm saying – you're going to have to see Jimmy Garoppolo really step up and play quarterback because he has really nobody, yeah. no Debo Samuel. I know they just signed Mohamed Sanu today, mm-hmm. so that I don't know if he's traveling with the team or he's going to start on Sunday. You, you probably don't have George Kittle if you're smart. I wouldn't play him. I just wouldn't. He's he's your franchise player. Just drafted it. Uh, just signed to a massive extension. Can't play him. I still think the 49ers win, but give me a score of 2017. Wow. Score 2017. It's gonna be. I think it's gonna be tight. I do. Wait until we see the quick picks because uh, I think that's gonna surprise a lot of people after hearing your score. <laughs> Sorry. It's gonna surprise myself too as I realized I think I had them. Uh, never mind. I'll, I'll be quiet. I'll, I'll be quiet. James, you are I, next. I am next. Thank you, Tom. Um, what an act to follow. I know, right? Um, <laughs> hard to follow Russo sometimes. Um, but no, I think. Uh, 49ers won't have their way with the Jets in a sense. Uh, they the Jets will fall, but to a score of twenty-one to seventeen. Hard to follow that up. You Only have a point differential Niners. on my score. You have Niners winning twenty-one seventeen. Yes. Okay, and we'll get to Gabe's question in a moment. I just want to make my score. Um, the Go 49ers ahead. have a three-headed. They have a three-headed attack rushing the football in Raheem Oster, Jarek McKinnon, and Tevin Coleman. The Jets will not be able to stop that. Quentin Williams, Henry Anderson, Steve McClendon, I don't care. That's not good enough. Avery Williamson, no, not happening. The Jets will get dominated in this game. Uh, The 49ers, even though, look, they still have Brandon Ayuk, Kendrick Bourne. They have guys on offense that can make plays for them. I think the 49ers are going to score 27 points against the Jets. I think the Jets will only be able to put up 14. Okay. 
Uh, Gabe Flayton, how would you guys rank the NFC West right now? I think it is very good. I do think that the Cardinals are in the mix for a playoff spot this year, and so are the Rams. Uh, it's hard to tell who the class of the division is right now. I mean, one would imagine it would be Seattle. But, look, San Francisco, they're missing a few guys. Remember, they represented the NFC in the big game last year. So yeah. I think it's between those two. I think the NFC West is pro- it's definitely the best division in the NFC. The best division in football? You know what? I'd say yeah. I, I would say yes. I, I Look, I think, yeah, definitely bet, best the, the, uh, division in football, hands down. There's no AFC division that comes close. Best division outside, maybe the NFC South, you probably need to talk about that division because of the Bucks, the Saints, yeah. and the Falcons, three really good quarterbacks. I mean, Bridgewater is a respectable quarterback as well, but – that's probably the one division that will contend with the NFC West. But I think the NFC West is the division that most likely will have three teams represented in the playoffs if all goes well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's just my thought process on that. I would agree. With agree. You. I think it's at this point in time in Seattle's to really um, run away with at this point in time with the injuries that we've seen to the 49ers early in the season. 100%. So. It's that time. Let's get to our NFL quick pick segment. We will analyze our quick picks. We will recap the week one games briefly, and we will talk about any injuries that happened and announce who the week one winner and week one loser was and uh, display our week two predictions. So we will go over this for the next 15 minutes. James will uh, pull up the graphic here in just a second, but you know, first, the NFL season, it kicked off Kansas City Chiefs, Houston Texans, Thursday night football, defending Super Bowl champs. And, you know, I've got to say it was a great performance by the Kansas City Chiefs. They were really good. Edwards Hilaire was the leading rusher in the NFL last week as a rookie, his first ever NFL game at 138 yards. Oh. I thought that was a, a, an outstanding performance by Edwards Hilaire. Uh, Kyle, you're shake, you're shaking your head. Uh, it's it's scary to see a Super Bowl team even get step up to that whole nother level where they're just perfect <laughs> on all cylinders. It's scary to even think about. Yeah, I would I I would definitely agree. And then of course, uh, James, the Seahawks and the Falcons. Seattle won thirty eight twenty five um, in Week One. As you can see, we all had the Kansas City Chiefs. I had them as my lock. Um, can you guys see that highlighted? Yeah. Kinda? Okay. Seattle. Uh, I don't know how far we have to scroll for them. Uh, let's see. There we go right there. But, yeah, so we, I believe we all had Seattle. Russell Wilson with the four uh, touchdown pass. Actually, Tom, I don't mean to correct you, but Gabe, Gabe did have Atlanta. Atlanta. Look, Atlanta gave them a fight. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, yeah, they lost by a couple of possessions, but um, Chris Carson with the two touchdown catches. Jamal Adams looked good in a Seahawks debut, but – to Gabe's, you know, pick, Matt Ryan did throw for 450 yards. Uh, yeah. Not to mention Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Russell Gage all had over 100 receiving yards each in this game. Yeah. When was the last time that's happened? Three receivers over 100 receiving yards each. That doesn't happen. Long time. It just doesn't happen. So even though Seattle wins, and yes, some of them may have come in garbage time, if I'm Seattle, I'm still a little worried about that. 
Um, it's going to be interesting. And then Todd Gurley had a touchdown in his Falcons debut. Um, Baltimore blew out Cleveland. I think we all saw this coming. Lamar Jackson now 20-3 and as an NFL starter. And the Browns, the poor Cleveland Browns, have not won a season opener since 2004. Eli Manning's rookie year. That's how long ago that was. Kyle and James, you guys all picked the Ravens as well. Yep. Raiders and the Panthers. Las Vegas won 34-30. I don't know if that was a, a sweep. Um, somebody might have picked Gabe Carolina. Gabe Carolina. Yep, Gabe Gabe Carolina. Got to give them credit. Rolling with Christian McCaffrey had two touchdowns, but Josh Jacobs had three. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> my fantasy guy in one of my leagues. So I was real happy about that. And guys, Robbie Anderson and his Panthers debut, he wasn't bad. He had over 100 yards. Did, Did he drop big, any balls? That hey. big 75-yard touchdown pass from uh, Teddy Bridgewater really helped them out tremendously. But, it uh, did. A good first debut for Teddy Bridgewater. Really good. Yeah. You see him uh, starting back in the NFL. They had a big lead in this game. I believe that they wanted up blowing. Yeah, they did. Um, it was definitely interesting to watch. Uh, both teams scoring 30-plus points. It's insane. Derek Carr looked good, too. Um, Colts at the Jaguars. This was the most shocking game of week one. The Jacksonville Jaguars win 27-20 to 20 at home. Gardner Minshew with three touchdown passes and only had one incompletion the entire game, completing 95% of his passes, 19-20. You had a no-man running back in Justin Robinson. Uh, Keenan Cole, LaVishka Chenault, and DJ Chark all had a touchdown reception. Spreading the wealth. Colts introducing their new quarterback, Phillip Rivers. He throws an interception to rookie defensive back CJ Henderson and one to uh, their new safety, Andrew Wingard. Phillip Rivers, you know, you get what you're going to get with him at this point 350 yards, a couple touchdowns, a pick or two. Only bad news for the Colts, other than that. And the loss was losing Marlon Mack for the entire season. With a torn Achilles. Yeah, that hurt my fantasy team. It did. And it Same. helped because I have Jonathan Taylor. I know. Yeah, I look forward to facing him this week. Very, <laughs> thank you very much, Kyle Russo. With I uh, lose Marlon Mack, you gain Jonathan Taylor. In my opinion, <laughs> the best offensive line in the NFL, the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. yeah. Um, fun fact, the Colts outgained the Jaguars 445 to 241. <laughs> Oh, oh wow! Why did Jacksonville win the game? Getting out the rivers, zero turnovers for the Jaguars. Gardner, I'm telling you, man. Green Bay at Minnesota. Gabe touched upon this on the North Pole last night. Uh, Me and Gabe, I believe, both got it wrong. And James James, the only one that picked the Packers. Wow, that's crazy. Smart man. Oh, what? Okay. 43-34, 43-34, final score. Devontae Adams set a record, uh, tied a single-game franchise record with 14 catches. Valdez, Scantling, and Alan Lazard, each with a touchdown. The Packers went over 500 yards. That was insane. Miami at New England. New England, Cam Newton wins in his debut, 21-11. Two rushing touchdowns. And get check this stat, guys. Those two rushing touchdowns tied for the most by a quarterback in a single game in Patriots franchise history. Well, you had one quarterback for the last 20 years, so that might explain to you why 
That that makes a little bit of sense there. That that yeah. Bill All Belichick's right. going to be able to run some creative plays, though. I'll tell you. By the yeah, way, uh, quick shout out to Bill Belichick. His mother passed away yesterday at the age of ninety-eight years old. Um, God, God bless reaching ninety-eight. Thoughts and prayers to the Belichick family, but a long-lived life by Bill Belichick's mother. So, all due respect um, and thoughts and well wishes there. Um, Fitzpatrick had three picks, did not look good. He will start week two, though, and we all had New England. That was a clean sweep. Washington over Philadelphia. Um, you know, the Eagles just blew a 17-0 lead. I get it. They're without Dillard and Brooks for the whole season. Sanders got hurt. Jeffrey was hurt. They're, they're banged up. Dallas Goddard was their leading receiver. That's how bad it was. Um, but Washington had eight sacks, guys. Eight sacks. Yeah, the cookie has crumbled with uh, the Eagles. You know, you heard some rumors that uh, the GM Roseman and Ertz were getting into it before the game about obviously contract extensions and negotiations. So when you have one of your best players, one of your only healthy players, Carson Wentz's security blanket fighting with the GM already week one, it's it's not going to be a good outlook for the season, especially losing to Washington the way they did. It's just not going to look good. Yeah. Ryan Kerrigan tied the Washington record uh, most sacks in team history, had two sacks in this game, and rookie Chase Young had one and a half sacks. Shout out him. Shout out to him. Good to see him. The Chargers. Uh, actually, I believe we all had Philadelphia, and then the Chargers and the Bengals, I believe we were split. I think James and myself had the Bengals. Kyle and Gabe had the Chargers. Yes. Yep. Uh, just to cut back on uh, Philly, Washington, I was the only one that picked Philly. Everybody else picked uh, – I was the only one that picked Washington. Everybody else gotcha. picked Philly. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that, James. Um, no problem. Joe Burrow had a 23-yard touchdown rush in this game as a rookie. Uh, you know, he was decent, unable to cash in late in the red zone. Kyle Russo, thoughts on Joe Burrow's first NFL game? He looked good. He looked good. He made some veteran type of moves. You know, you saw – yeah, when he ran for the touchdown, using one of his teammates as a blocker, kind of uh, dodged the uh, Charger defender. He did look good. You know, just got to get used to playing in an NFL uniform. But he has weapons to throw to. Tyler Boyd, A.J. Green, uh, John Ross. That's a nice trio to work with. Not to mention T. Higgins, who they drafted in the second yeah. round. We'll see how that turns out. And um, Chargers did win that game by three, 16-13. Bucks and the Saints, this was a fun one. Uh, Tampa Bay, Tom Brady, debut, didn't go as planned. The Saints win 34-23. Drew Brees is now 4-2 and all time against Tom Brady. The Saints outscored Tampa Bay 17 to nothing in the second quarter. I think that was the difference maker in this game. Brady, a couple touchdowns, a couple picks in his Bucks debut. Uh, you know, Mike Evans was not 100%. Chris Godwin got banged up. He really likes Scotty Miller, the slot receiver. Kind of reminds me of an Eminem and Dolo Wes Welker type of player yeah. um, that he's utilized in the past. Um, even Deion Branch, early, very early on in Brady's career, if you guys remember him, he came back for a later stint yep. uh, later on. So those four guys, I think, are kind of what the Scotty Miller type idolizes um, a little bit. Michael Thomas, of course, placed on IR. He will miss several weeks with an ankle sprain. But general thoughts on this game? I thought this was amped up to be the game of the week. And, 
you know, even though the Bucks lost by double digits, I still thought it was a good game. It was definitely a good game. You know, it's a, it's a learning curve. It's a new team pacing together, just finally completed in a sense just a week ago when you added your, in a sense, starting running back in Leonard Fournette. I know Ronald Jones was most of the carries, but newly acquired Tom Brady, newly acquired Gronk, Leonard Fournette, and a new coach in Bruce Arians. It'll take a couple of weeks, uh, but it was definitely, Tom Brady made some mistakes, but he'll get back on the horse. I have faith. Cardinals at 49ers. We already talked about that. Um, yeah. Sherman on IR with a leg injury. Cardinals with a surprise. I believe that was very split as well. That was or actually might a complete loss. Oh, uh, we all went San Francisco. Yeah. Yep. Cowboys, Rams. I went with the Rams. The Cowboys are one and seven in one score games since last year. Malcolm uh, Brown had two touchdowns. Cam Akers had a decent game. Jared Goff, he managed the game well. You know, he didn't put up big numbers, but um, the Rams made the plays. Their defense is really good. I think Dallas, new head coach, um, you know, their offensive line is a little banged up. As um, You know, I, I think Dallas is in trouble. I, I really do because defensively they didn't look great either. Their front against the run is not good against the pass. They're brilliant, but against the run, they, they've really, really struggled. And the injuries they suffered, they, they lost, uh, they're already yeah, they're without right. Sean Lee. They lost Blake Charwin for the season with torn Achilles. And then Leighton Vanderish is hurt too now. So your two top linebackers are, well, uh-huh. yeah, two out, Jay, of your three. two out of your three. Yeah. Yeah. How I forget about my favorite one, Notre Dame alumnus, Jalen Smith. Um, <laughs> but um, but that that stadium, the Rams' new stadium. I just want to point that out. That's top notch. I wasn't feeling the Best Buy uniforms, but the stadium was nice. Well, <laughs> yeah, but that that's a, that's a stadium that you guys, everybody, should put on their bucket list to go check out. Yeah, at least point. my opinion. Um, last game guys titans at broncos the titans win 16 to 14 a team that just signed the new kicker and steven goskowski his titans debut did not go as planned however he did make the 25 yard game winning field goal with 17 seconds left he was one for four on field goals one for two with extra points Right before the 25-yard chip shot try, linebacker Will Compton came over and gave him a big hug. Kaskowski stated that that was probably one of the big things that uh, helped him persevere through that moment. Um, thoughts on Steven Goskowski? I mean, very, very fortunate. Very fortunate because at the end of the day, that last kick is the only one that matters. Tennessee puts a W in the win column, and Steven Goskowski gets to kick, uh, keep his starting kicking job. Yeah, I mean it was it was looking bad. It was looking really bad. You know, if the Tennessee Titans lost this game, he might be available on the uh, on the free agent market right now. But comes away with the victory. Yeah. Melvin Gordon looked decent in his Broncos debut, seventy-eight yards and a score. Noah Fant had a nice game as well. Two old school style offenses, low low, low scoring game at mile high. I picked Denver only because it was in mile high and I didn't know how the Titans would adapt to it. But, um, you know, they adapted pretty well and they should have won by more. It's just that, you know, they left, uh, they left 10 points off the board. No big deal. 
<laughs> yeah, but it, a win is a win, guys. A win is a win. All right. So, looking at these picks, the week one loser was Gabe Flayton. Uh, all of us hit our lock except for Kyle. None of us hit our upset. So, as you can see, uh, the records there, me and Kyle had the same record. But if you look at, and James won week one, by the way, he was the week one winner. Continue that streak from last year, boys. And then um, Gabe and Kyle each had nine points. Yes. With Tom, a tiebreaker. Yes, go ahead. Tom, you're with 10. Uh, just so in case you can't see, Gabe and Kyle are nine, and I am 13. So you won. I came in second. James and Kyle were originally tied for last, but um, Gabe lost via a tiebreaker because he had a worse record. That's why we have the record and the points here in this Excel spreadsheet. I feel like we're in a math class right now reading this over. So as you see, uh, class. <laughs> <laughs> So, Gabe Flayton, the newcomer of the Review and Preview brand, what will be his punishment? Well, as a Minnesota Vikings fan, he will be forced to sing Go Pack Go with the music in the background for about 20, 30 seconds, and that will be up on our social media page at some point on Friday. So very much looking forward to that. Kyle Russo, your thoughts about surviving by the skin of your teeth? (laughs) Uh, you know, thank goodness we went back into the archive and finals uh, and uh, and files on how we judge this this oh so sacred uh, Excel <laughs> sheet and the rules of this quick picks. Uh, it was not going to look good. Uh, you guys texted me Sunday night. Kyle lost, and I did. It just wasn't a good look uh, going into week one. <laughs> Happy I survived week one. Hopefully, I could put some more points back on the board come week two with uh, my picks I got next week. Well, oh, speaking yeah. of week two, which Tom, do you want me to run through this rather quickly? Yes, yes, you can run through week two, James. All righty. So week two begins tomorrow night. All righty. So we got Cleveland and Cincinnati. Cleveland is at uh, Cincinnati's at Cleveland. Uh, Tom, Gabe, Kyle, all took Cleveland. I took Cincinnati. Damn, James, you're gonna win, man. You always hey, do li- that. Listen, man, we'll have to see. Uh, next game, Giants at. The Bears. Everybody picked the Giants except Gabe. He went against us Giant fans and picked the Bears. We'll see how that figures out. Atlanta versus Dallas. Um, Tom and myself took Atlanta, and Gabe and Kyle took Dallas. We'll see how that one fares out. Detroit versus Green Eight and eight makes the playoffs in the NFC East. Yes, it does. Yes, yes, it does. Um, Detroit versus Green Bay. Green Bay clean sweep across the board. Gabe's Vikings versus Indiana. Indiana. Uh, Tom took Indy, and myself took Indy. And Gabe. I just want to say one thing about the Colts. Sorry. No, you're so. Good. Vikings are 0-11 all-time at the Colts. I originally had the Vikings on this, but I switched to the Colts only because of. Their run game and their defense, I think Minnesota's defense did not impress me. But go on. So speaking of Minnesota, I, Gabe I, I Kyle, had to bring that up. Nope. That, that's all good, Tom. Gabe and Kyle did take Minnesota. Next game, Buffalo versus Miami. Um, Buffalo clean sweep across the board. San Francisco versus the Jets. San Fran clean sweep across the board. Philly versus the Rams. Tom is taking Philly. The rest of the guys, wow. Kyle, myself, and Gabe one are taking thing. the Rams. I got to say one thing, and this is a proven thing. I did some big, deep, deep stat digging this morning, and there was a comment that said um, the Rams have not beaten the Eagles since 2004. 
And teams who did not cover the spread in week one usually come back in week two and dominate the spread. So, you know, if there's some type of fortune in there. And when I originally looked at it, Kyle Russo copied every single one of my picks. No, so, I had that filled out before you. I, I filled mine out. I feel, I'm pretty sure I filled this out. Though. It wasn't on the sheet. Mm. I don't know. Listen, this is the type of analysis you're looking for, folks. This is the type of stat thinking we do, or, or Tom does. All righty. So moving on, Denver at uh, Pittsburgh. 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 Yeah, Tom, Kyle, and myself take Pittsburgh. Gabe takes Denver. Tampa Bay versus Carolina. Clean sweep with Tampa. Uh, Jacksonville versus Tennessee. Tennessee takes a clean sweep across the board. Uh, Washington at Arizona. Arizona takes – we take Arizona as meaning the boys um, over Washington. <laughs> uh, Baltimore versus Houston. This is interesting now. I, I would love to get Fonz's analysis. Uh, Gabe, uh, Fonz. Oh, oh, Fonz, yeah. Fonz, yeah. yeah, because Gabe did take Houston, but yeah. Kyle, my, Kyle, Tom, and myself took Baltimore. So. Yeah. Uh, hopefully I can text uh, Fonz about that. Uh, sure. The Chiefs versus the Chargers. Clean sweep for the Chiefs. Uh, New England versus Seattle. Seattle, clean sweep. New Orleans versus Las Vegas Raiders. Yes, got to get used to saying that. Uh, New Orleans, clean sweep without Michael Thomas. Um, so let's go back to our lock and upsets. Uh, clean with our locks. Tom, Kyle, Gabe, and myself take San Francisco. Now, if San Francisco loses to the Jets, we're going to look like a bunch of idiots. <laughs> but you know what? We'll be looking like a bunch of idiots together. And then um, upsets are different here. Uh, Tom is taking Philly. Obviously, he just did some deep stat thinking, stat digging this morning. Um, Kyle and myself take our big blue. New York Giants. Hopefully we can come out with that victorious. And then Gabe is taking his Minnesota Vikings. And that is your week two quick picks from the review and preview boys. I want to ask you one thing. First off, shout out Fonz DeFalco for making this segment a thing last year. Uh, we wouldn't be here now without you. But um, are you guys picking the Giants as an upset strictly because you think they're going to win against the Bears? Or do you just not trust Mitch Trubisky? It's a combination of both. I think they do have both. From what I saw, how they fended themselves against probably the best defense in all of football on Monday night, I think they could tolerate the Bears who don't necessarily have that great of an offense. I think they could fend up. And I hope that, listen, please, Giants, get a win on the board. Don't go 0-2 to start the season off. Yeah, definitely. uh, You can't. Otherwise, me and Russo, if the San Francisco loses, will be a bunch of idiots. (laughs) All right, guys. So um, the NFL will celebrate its 100th year anniversary tomorrow night. A little fun fact there. And Peyton Manning leads the 2021 Hall of Fame first year nominees. So shout out to him. Uh, Guys, just want to shout out our uh, show of review and preview next week will be Wednesday, 7 to 9 p.m. We will have two special guests planned. Uh, we just need confirmation from Fonz, but he will be on to preview the Ravens and the Chiefs. And around 8.30 p.m., we will have Kevin Fitzmaurice, the president of JDF Sports, joining the show to talk about his New England Patriots and the rest of the AFC East. I'm excited. Two JDF guys in one night, including one former co-host of Review and Preview. It's going to go down. 
I can't wait, guys. I can't wait to have Fonz back and talk Baltimore with him. It's going to be a good show, no doubt. Somebody needs to bring up the Titans. Just remember that. Just once. Just oh. Fonz, remember the Titans. Yeah. You know what? Maybe when we play. Not a movie maybe, reference. Remember the Titans. Maybe when uh, we have his little name pop up, we'll be uh, slash Titans. Yeah. Some, Somebody, some has Titans to crack a joke. Somebody has to crack a joke that, hey, Fonz, we have a punishment for you this week for coming on. <laughs> <laughs> Fonz be like, oh, gosh. I'm really looking forward to that. Also, uh, guys, tune in for the debut of Big Blue Avenue uh, tomorrow, 7 to 8 p.m., hosted by myself and Hank and Dichter. We will talk all things New York Giants. We will run down the week one uh, matchup more in depth against the Pittsburgh Steelers here on Review and Preview Sports. Uh, we will run through pretty much that show will run through the entire NFL season. We will put all our other Giants episodes on hold. I know we've been doing throwbacks going over previous seasons. Guests for tomorrow will include Pittsburgh Steelers superfan Dominic Daniele and Chicago Bears fan Andrew Hopper all the way from Chicago. So tune into that. Tune into the North Pole next week, Tuesday night, 6 to 7.30 p.m. And then we'll be back next week at this time, Wednesday, 7 to 9 p.m. Fonz DeFalco, Kevin Fitzmaurice, looking forward to it. Kyle and James, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Absolutely. Great show. On behalf of uh, James Montefusco and Kyle Russo, I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, saying so long. You've been watching Review and Preview here on Facebook Live. Good night, everybody.